Hello and welcome to Magic, Myths and Mayhem, a TTRPG podcast with mostly accurate rules and inconsistent character voices. I'm Purdy, your host and maybe one day GM, and with me are Alex, Rowan, Mark and Joe, my wonderful friends. How is everyone doing today? Hey! Happy New Year! Yes, that was very good. Not, not a the, stumble. On the first take... No. It was definitely it the first day. You gaslit me last time. No, I went on one of I don't know. That was very good. Yes, it was. It was. I, I, and to answer your question, I'm doing all right. I'm very tired. Um, for some reason, I went to bed really, really late last night, and it definitely wasn't because I was playing Plato with everybody. Am I right in thinking that I'm the only one who hasn't had to do that intro now? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I thought so. <laughs> well, Liz hasn't. I've never Liz hasn't. Liz hasn't. Liz hasn't. Oh, that's true. But Liz but will probably Liz, do it before there you. There are plans. Liz probably. There are plans for Liz you. too because she's going to do the fast Wait, there's a Liz too. Liz two's gone. Okay, it's Charles three now. Liz <laughs> two? No, it's Charles three now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> oh, very British joke. <laughs> Chaos already. <laughs> anyway. Party. Oh yeah, I have a little last time. Yeah, you got a little, you got a little spiel. So yeah, so once again, we are continuing my little segment on how to GM. Just a reminder, this is a series focused on subjective opinions of our group on how they like to approach GMing. This isn't going to be us reading from the handbooks and explaining the rules. It's instead supposed to be focusing on how helping on helping with the finer personal details of forming your own GMing style. Today we're going to be talking about our GM styles, i.e. V3, because I still haven't GM'd yet. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Uh, including with dealing with the players, as well as breaking down our individual styles. Before we start, anybody have any questions they want to start off the bat with? If not, I've got a wheel that I'm just going to press spin and that's going to start our questions for us. I, I mean, I, I'm sure I'll have many questions Ooh. reaching through, but... Uh... Joe, you're remembering the hands up. I know we have just spoken about it, but not on this recording. Is there a fun sound effect for the wheel? And if not, no, will you do one just... for us? Like a... And then just no, get slower no. into it. On, I don't think one. it has sounds. And if it does, I don't know how right, I'll, I'll add it in post. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, about to say yeah, I'm yeah. just literally using my iPad for it, so <laughs> and, and everyone is expecting like the tick 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 and I'm just gonna make you go like boing 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 boing. <laughs> oh please do. Do a do a sped up version of the countdown theme just for however long it takes <laughs> so it's a different it's a different speed every time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that wouldn't have any copyright issues. Spin the wheel. I'm going to spin the wheel. How would you approach unexpected situations? I don't know. Mm. I didn't well, that counterpoint, what's an expected situation? Yeah. Unexpected situation. Um, it can be anything from. Mm. No, uh, I was saying what what's an expected one on the other side of the coin. So yeah, <laughs> it's all, I'm all guessing from unexpected. like an expected situation is like oh, um, you meet these people that we've put into the, like the GMs put into the story and. They give you a quest and you're supposed to follow it. The unexpected is they give you a quest and you say, fuck off, shoot them. 
walk away. Oh, this is so. This is this Not is the classic. We... Who's in the bar? The mysterious figure with the hood and a brooding aura, and also a goblin named Tim. And and it's yeah. oh, we want to speak to the goblin named Tim. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, I understand. Right, Alex has got his hand up. Go on, because you have to deal um, with it the most, probably. <laughs> you, you know, in a way, yes, but also in a way, no. Just because of the way that I've come to GMing these days is I focus more on putting a lot of world in there and letting you kind of wibble your way through in whatever direction. Like usually there is, you know, like a like cheese or breadcrumbs to follow, but if you don't go away, I tend to abandon it. I think last time I brought up um the illusion of choice, which I think comes into this quite a lot. Um I think the first campaign I did, The Lost Prince, I very much had a very preset story people you're going to meet things you're going to do which worked when you hadn't played very much but nowadays if i tried that with you you'd all be like well i want to explore this way i want to do this kind of thing i want to talk to this person so instead i focus more on points and bits of information that you will want to get uh, and then no matter who you talk to you'll get to it whether you choose the comedy goblin who will probably eventually get you that information or take you to someone who will or the mysterious brooding uh you know person at the bar who already has that information but possibly something else uh, and i kind of always let you guys guide the vibes maybe that's a good way of putting it um mm. if you do truly take me completely by surprise which you have a few times before i tend to rely very heavily on improv and trying to very heavily remember that it's all just a bit of stupid fun, so it doesn't really matter if it all goes to shit, and maybe I have to Google some things. But yeah, I think in a combination of improv and worldly knowledge, I guess is a good term, um, no matter what direction you end up going, whether it's expected or unexpected, there's always something you can find. It's like a preparing for all situations instead of one single situation. Mm. Mark, I did notice your hand. No, up. it was it, Joe. Joe was. Did first. Joe go first? Sorry, Joe. Yeah. I didn't even notice you at all. That's all right. I was going to say there are different levels to how unexpected something might be, but those also go with how common or rare they might be. Mm. And I'm also going to say, Alex, you can probably add in like a counter or a ding or something because I think this is going to come up a lot this this time mm. around. Mm probably even more so than last time, is communication is, is again, it's a massive thing. Mm. So, for example, if we had, say, in, in Terrace, for example, um, Fenoglius was an artificer, was an en like engineer, and I could have, at any point in a session, said to Rowan, I've been thinking about it, and I really think that Fenoglius's next goal and his most pressing goal is to design the world's first levitating suspension bridge with uh, refillable cup holders. Uh, <laughs> I could have said some, that or something along those lines at any point, as any of us could say in in Alex's campaign or in a one-shot, like the Wintermas one-shot, they could have gone, we'd really like to travel to Easter, whatever that looks like. Um, but there's the kind of the, the, kind of the expectation um, and courtesy usually of if that's something that i think of kind of in the moment at a table i'm probably not going to say it right there and then i will wait until after the session because it's probably not super pressing and i'll go i'll give it a little bit of thought and if it's something that i decide on yes i would like to do that then i will let rowan know in this example outside of the game so that they have time to prepare it 
And then, then in that way, it's unexpected, but does not require improv from the DM. Yeah. Uh, or a, a kind of a veering quickly to uh, a different kind of path forward. But that, I think, again, is, is relatively rare. The thing of kind of, oh, we, we'd actually like to kill this NPC who, or maybe the players haven't realised that they are important. There are things you can do in the kind of the improv of it to go, oh, well, actually, you know, uh, this important quest giver, um, as they're lying on the ground and you're beating them, they quickly flash a badge and they are, in fact, a high-ranking spy in the king's military mm. or whatever. And at that point, you've then introduced a stake of, well, they could continue beating this guy to death, uh, but now well, they, they know could, he's yeah. important and they know that there could be more consequences for it. And again, it comes down to the communication of what kind of players do you have? So... There are things that we as a group could do in our long-term campaign to surprise Alex, 100%. I'm sure there are times that we do. But also, at this point, he knows what kind of players we are. And so yeah. if you are playing with friends, and again, this is an advantage you're playing with people that you know or have played with for a while, as opposed to if you're just getting a group together for the first time or just playing at kind of a random table, uh, Adventurers League, for example, you can kind of mitigate those things by either having a kind of a backlog in your mind of okay well i can bring i can bring in this thing now because they've done this or you might just be quick on your feet and go ah i know i have an inkling of why they're doing this and therefore mm. i know which direction to take it in um i think the kind of the underlying pin of all of that stuff that happens at the table is just working on your improv skills some people will pick that up or already have it really quickly and so people will take longer to adapt. Either one of those is fine at the table because, again, you should be playing with people that you, in theory, know or who have a kind of the courtesy to wait for you. Mm. Um, like if we had to look something up in... Like if we were all playing at a table with pen and paper and the books and Alex had to go, sorry, I just need to find the... Uh, adult gold dragon stat block because you've picked a fight with this guy. We wouldn't all go. Well, why why don't you have that ready? Because you might not have been expecting us to pick on the some you know the random who happens to be a dragon. It's there's it's a kind of a level of courtesy from the players, um, and then reciprocation of from the DM if someone is kind of unsure of what they want to do. And then mm. yeah, working on your improv skills. I think. Mark, you had your hand up. Yeah. So I mean, I think a lot of how you get handle how you're gonna handle unexpected situations depends upon what kind of GM you are as well. So mm. if you're somebody who is you know you know we all know whether we're good at improv improv or not. In some ways if you're not brilliant at improv, having it too well defined can be a problem because if it's going along these nice neat rails and suddenly shoots off and you know exactly where it's gonna go next, mm. it's difficult you've got to improv your way around that. If you make it more general. I know they're going to be in this town, in this bar, and I know I've got to get them to that town where the big bad is. But I haven't really worked out exactly how to do that yet. It's a more free and easy. You haven't got any, you haven't got to do any on-the-spot improv, because it's more like you're, you're, you're sort of working the story out almost as you go along, as long as you know mm. the waypoints. So you set, sort out waypoints of the story rather than the, the situation. So you don't say, as Joe was saying, you don't say there's 
you know, in your head, you go, okay, they're going to go to a bar, it's going to be this mysterious stranger, he's going to give them this piece of paper, they're going to work out what the clue means. You could do all that. Or you could say, right, they're going to go into this bar because this is where they're starting from. And something's going to happen and they're going to get sent over to this town over here. And I'll work out what it is as I go along. Or you I like say, the ideas of waypoints if you're putting it out. I've never it, thought of it that way. Yeah. I mean, that's how, that's how I would tend to do it. And I would tend to... so. And Alex has missed something out that he does, which I think is a great idea, which I never thought of doing. <laughs> <laughs> which is, he has a, a, an NPC pl player character. Yeah. So he has his own character as part of the party, which most of the time he just goes along with whatever we decide, because of course he's letting the story play itself out. But if we start to go down the completely the wrong path, he's able to give us a push in the right direction, or a clue, or a hint, or by just having the character who we are used to having as part of the party give us a little nudge in the right direction. Now, you've got to be quite good to do that, I think, because you've got to be careful you don't overplay. You, mm. don't, want, you don't want the sort of, we walk to the bar and your, your, character, your, your NPC player character goes, look, there is a mysterious character sitting in the corner. I think we should go and talk to him. Because that's, yeah, that's basically playing a game on rails. I've got to admit, like, so before I even started this, like how to GM stuff. Um, I've been bits and pieces planning uh, a campaign on my own in the background. Mm. And again, like when you said about Alex knowing, uh, Alex doing something that he hasn't mentioned, and it was having um, a PC that he plays, a lot of like my whole thing that I was planning, like my campaign was based off of the fact that Alex does that. And I was like, yeah, that's a really good idea. It is. Of kind yeah. of having them in the group, but kind of in the background sort of thing to like, if you need that. Nudge, if necessary, it's a little yeah. bit of a nudge in the right direction. Absolutely. But at the same time, it's a good way to join in and cause chaos. Yeah, as the absolutely. DM. If you want to do that, you can always give a hit the wrong direction. And Alex does yeah. that sometimes. He, I, also he, want, I, I want to clarify. I don't want it to be under any impression that like having a DMPC is in any way like an original idea of mine. It is a no, very, no, very, no. very common but thing. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's just it something is. that I never really thought about until you started doing it. And I was like, well, yeah, it's obvious. Um, I was going to say, going back to the waypoint thing, though, and, and Alex was saying you know, the illusion of choice thing. The, what, what you could do with the waypoints is you go, okay, we're going to be in this bar. We're going to have this mysterious figure. Or maybe it's going to be Tim the Enchanter. Or maybe it's going to be the guy behind the bar, but someone's going to give them this information that I know they need to have. I'll work out who it is later. The waypoint is they're going to go to this other town. You may think it's going to be the town of Merryville down the road, but they may decide we want to go to the capital city. But whatever's going to happen next doesn't have to happen where you thought it was going to happen. It can happen as long as they get to the waypoint, which is the next step in the story. It can happen anywhere. Mm. So you just say, well, I, I thought they were going to go to this little town out across this huge desert and then end up fighting the bad, bad guys in the underwater palace. But they could go in a completely different direction, do the same story. They could end up in an underwater palace in a lake at the back of the palace in the capital city. You can modify it as you go along. Mm. As long as you know that they've got from A to B and B to C and you know that the actual main points are... Yeah, you know, it's almost like... Uh, a fetch quest in when you're playing games and things where you've got to get the key mm. to the next bit. As long as you get the key, it doesn't really matter how you get the key. Joe? The NPC 100% absolutely can work. It's not something that is without its pitfalls for some mm. for some people. I know the way 
and we'll get more into like personal styles and kind of how how we do stuff. I know that I am not suited having having tried it. I am not suited to to having a long term DMPC just because of the way that I run stuff and the way that I mm. play as a player doesn't doesn't suit me. Um, and it's something I would I would recommend new DMs, especially if they have not played the game before, if they're a brand new player and DM to stay away from until they have a little bit more experience. Uh, because not everyone will be able to manage it as well as say Alex does because of either not having the the kind of the story sense of when to let the players just kind of riff and not to then overuse it as a as a crutch. Which Alex is very good at at kind of letting us go and then it, you know he, he has the kind of the sense to steer us maybe of uh, Jay pipes up and says this thing and it might just be simply that we've forgotten we've forgotten a really important detail and we're like we're going to go to this place because this person told us this. And Jay tells us, actually, they, they said that it was it was a wet place, uh, not, yeah. <laughs> not a dark place. And we're like, oh, okay, then we need to go here. <laughs> I think as well with that, for you to be, like, for a GM to be able to do that, they need to know their own playing style. Yeah, 100%. As well. Yes. So, like, definitely. I know that sometimes, like, depending on my mood, I'm either a background player or I'm very much up in everyone's business player. And you need to know what type of player you are to be able to make sure that your own PC that you're inserting into your campaign um, is going to fit that. And you're not going to, you're not uh, like up in someone's business player and then you want to do a background like PC person it, because it won't work that way. Ro, I saw your hand up before Alex's. Mm -hmm. That's why my um, DMPC is a dog. That's all I want to say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it works yes. out well. Yes, and it works really, really well. Yes. Alex, and then we'll go back to your second point, Joe. Unless you you wanted to. No, it's non-DMPC related, so if yours is, then go for it. Sure. It kind of is. I, I was only going to say it was something that sort of bounces off what you were saying, Purdy, uh, in knowing your own GM style and all that kind of stuff. Um but I wanted to like highlight, obviously, you won't necessarily know that you know your own GM style, but because I'm obviously making a big list of things that I want to say because my brain will explode otherwise. <laughs> uh, my, my point there is trust yourself and remember that it is all for fun. Um, like if you are playing a game, in my opinion, and it is stressing as a GM and it's stressing you out, like every week is awful. I feel like something needs to change. There is always some stress that goes alongside it, but I feel like there's a fun stress maybe compared to anxiety riddled just like I, I don't even want to start GMing today I feel sick all of that kind of stuff like that, that's that's where a conversation needs to be created if you're so unready for any of it and don't know your own style or, or at least think there's a much higher expectation than there is just have a little open conversation I feel like if you're not if that space hasn't been created then something needs to change I just realized I'm doing my own hand up thing for me being the host. <laughs> yeah, you, you yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, so yeah, adding on to Alex's thing, that kind of, even though I've not GM'd, it kind of does relate to me. Like, so last time I did the how to GM thing, um, Alex knows quite well, I suffered with major, major anxiety just before it started because of doing the intro and everything. I just wasn't in the right space to do it. So that's where me and Alex had like a little background talk. And it was like, 
I want to do the actual thing, but I can't cope with doing the intro and all that. That's why Alex did it last time. And it was a case of I knew that once that was taken off my plate, I could do the rest of it. And you do. You have to find things that make you comfortable because if you are just riddled with anxiety, it's not going to be fun for you and it's not going to be fun for your players. And you have to remember, like everyone, all of us have said, it has to be fun because there is no point otherwise. What Joe was saying earlier about it it depends on the kind, not just on your kind, your style, but on the kind of group you're with. Mm. Particularly when you're with a group of friends who play regularly like we are. If any one of us is running a game and we get to an end of a session, it's like, oh, shit, this is going really badly. We can always talk to each other. There's no yeah. Just because you're GM and you're, you don't want to give away any secrets to ruin the game doesn't mean you can't go and talk to someone and say, look, this isn't going as I, as I planned. Can, can, I, can I bounce some ideas off you? Because what you don't want to do, and this is probably true of anybody who's GMing, if, if, particularly sometimes you get like writer's block. You're putting a story together and you're like, I just can't see what this, this isn't going to expect and I don't really know where to go with this. And you can bounce ideas off somebody. Now, I'm quite lucky because I can bounce ideas off Alex because I see him. Yeah. Uh, but there's nothing to stop any one of us talking to any other one of us and saying, I'm a bit stuck here. I don't want to give anything away, but let's kick a few ideas around. Just break that block, get a friendly voice. And of course, if you start the thing up and say before we start, look, can I just say, you know, Let's not get too too wild on this one because I'm trying to get. We'll we'll understand because we're a group of friends. Mm. Yeah, so like um, I'm going to do a shameless plug for us all here. I don't know how much the listeners are aware that we also stream on our Magic Miss and Mayhem um, Twitch channel, and a lot of the time it is mainly just Alex, myself, and Rowan. But you guys do join in, so we're all talking to each other several times a week. And so I know. I know Alex. um, large amounts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, I actually don't think I go a day without talking to Ro and Alex, apart from, like, when I shut myself away, which I have done. But, like, nine times out of ten, I'm talking to at least you two so much, like, every day. And then, like, I'll drop you, like, the rest of you, like, a, a message here and there. But I know, like, a lot of the times as well, Alex will be like, we'll just be playing the game, and Alex will just drop little hints for um like how things are going in the campaign or like oh Rowan knows this but you don't and stuff like that (laughs) but we also do it vice versa we kind of drop little things like oh yeah like I know there was a point I was going through a a rough patch with Neva and I I was going yeah I'm not so sure so we would just chat about it like behind the scenes and it brought it all back together but yeah Alex Jump on, no, and then I have things to say, but I, I am not. I'm not going before Joe. Okay. <laughs> Joe well, I mean, this this could be leave it here, or you might want to edit it further because <laughs> this is to, to to go back to the original, just around. Oh, I was going to drag it back to the original question. point anyway. No, That's fine. Yeah. Okay. No, then Alex. Uh, so around, uh, I'd mentioned before about um, some bits of being unexpected or unexpected things happen more or less frequently. I personally have found that improv is more required and players are more likely to go kind of a bit haywire in things that are a little bit more kind of quote unquote like downtimey. So mm-hmm. uh, things like the beginning of the journey in the quest, going into the tavern to to you know meet the meet the guy. Oh, there's this cool goblin. Great, um, because there's a lot more 
um, narrative freedom because there isn't currently something large happening. There isn't currently a goal set, but also it can be really nice to have those kind of small moments because it can then lead to some of the funniest stuff. So the example that always sticks in my head from it, uh, unsurprisingly, it comes from Critical Role, um, but it's from their Calamity miniseries because one of the first things that they do after they have each had their like little intro vignettes, and Rowan, I'm sure you know, you're going to know where I'm going for this straight away, is they go to a big party and Sam Regal's character is is just asked kind of off the cuff, oh, did, did you bring someone? And he goes, uh, he telegraphs it to the DM, uh, in this case, Brennan Lee Mulligan. He goes, uh, let's say yes. So instantly he's improving the GM is 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 improving in response, and he he reels off like four sentences. He's like, oh, "She's a leggy blonde. Um, she was introduced to me by a mutual friend. Uh, I, this is the first time I've ever met her in my life, and um, and she's gorgeous, isn't she?" Uh, to which the 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 DM turns around and in like a thick Eastern European slash Russian accent goes, "Yes, hello, I am Bolo." And it's one of the funniest things in the whole miniseries. And it becomes then a running gag. And they spend the next like 20 minutes and this party is going on. And the kind of the things that were set kind of as the, the waypoints of the, the events in this story to use Mark's term, uh, which I think is, is a really good accurate term to use as well. Um, they're all happening. And in and amongst it, they are looking for and interacting with their new favorite character who has been made up on the spot 30 seconds ago bolo <laughs> she suddenly has a backstory she's uh you know she's from their like rival floating city and she doesn't understand quite how their technology works is she a spy who knows it's those kinds of things that lead to those some of the some of the really fun moments and the things that you will remember about the campaign um yeah. so don't be afraid to in hmm. if the players haven't sensed any urgency and you think there should be urgency introduce an element of it if there isn't anything urgent just just let them riff and, and you yeah. you in response can can do that that um like having a pc random like npc randomly like be created like that slightly reminds me of the story that alex told us about degif how like it was a random name thrown at us ages ago and then we were like yeah we're gonna go find and he's like Oh shit! I've actually got to make this character now. <laughs> it was more than that. It was we're going to go find this guy, and I immediately went, "Who the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> I have no idea. And that was a very real example of when I forced Alex to do something on the spot. Yes, <laughs> yes, it worked. Um, Ro, I, I did see your hand up. Is that in response to what? To um, Joe. Yeah, it is very quick. Yeah. Uh, I'm firmly in the Bolo the Spy camp. <laughs> I like I like that the Bolo's a silver dragon theory, personally. Mm-hmm. Mark, is that a quick add-on? Because it's a really, really quick add-on. I was just okay. going to say what what Joe was just saying. Letting the players riff because, as a GM, you mustn't forget the game is the journey, not the destination. And it is it's also very, as much the player's story as yes. it is the GM's. The game is when what you're playing, not where you're getting to. So as a GM, it's very tempting to say, yeah, but I want you to get to this cool place and find this cool room I've set up. But that's, the game is playing the game. And if playing the game means you spend, you have a shopping episode for two hours, 
<laughs> we've never we, done that. We, we spent hours in a fantasy Burger King because we were just ripping and Rowan had introduced this this toy element that we love sourcing. babies. I've just finished listening to that on the podcast. <laughs> that was brilliant. Absolutely. Sorry, that's it. That was... Right, Alex, I am going to you so you can put your arm down now. <laughs> the first one which is basically what we've all been saying is don't hold on too hard to how you think it should go like it's very easy i think especially as a beginning gm because i definitely fell into this trap myself to think this is how the story should be as if it's a book you know or, or a film and my players are going to act it as though it's theater mm. when in reality it's a situation that you put the players into and just see what fucking happens, like putting a mouse in a maze. Like, yes, there's something at the end, but whatever happens in between is kind of out of your control. Uh, but as an add-on to that, I've also got don't be afraid to rewrite, which I do constantly. I have had thousand-page documents which are like the most set-in-stone story ever. We've done a couple sessions and I've gone, nope. <laughs> absolutely none of that's going to happen sometimes a little bit changes sometimes i'm like this is just not going to work anymore this isn't going to be a fun thing to do anymore so it's it's making sure that you don't hold on too hard um but the second point was to go back all the way to again unexpected situations it's a very quick one uh something i i i, I called delayed reactions which is improving in the short term during the session and then just spending the week fitting it into the world you don't need to worry about making everything perfect on the spot. Retcons exist, and sometimes you don't need retcons. But just play with it as it goes. Have the fun time, and then worry about where it fits in. And don't worry about how much detail you put into it, because I can guarantee you, and this is from full-on experience, you do not need anywhere near as much detail as you might think. A character... I have introduced characters to you before by a first name and a, 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 and a, and a job, and they've been around for ages and you've never actually known what they look like. You've never actually known anything of who they are. I think sometimes I didn't even say if they, what gender they are or any of this kind of stuff, but you, you know, you as players have it in your mind. So I don't need any of that stuff. Just let it go. All right, Joe, we will go to you and then we're going to go on to another question. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's, it's an analogy that I like, uh, that I've just thought of. Um, so tell me if, if it's wrong uh, for this kind of not holding on too, too hard. Um, to something is that you're not an author as the DM, you are you are a sailor. So you have you as the DM have created the ocean and you are steering the ship. But the players are both the ship and the wind. You can steer the ship mm. against the wind if you want to, but you will meet resistance doing it. Or yep. you can tack slightly and go with the wind, and the ship will go much faster and smoother. Mm. I like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So, what do you guys prioritize as a GM? Ooh. That's why Alex is first. Fun. It's, it's such a stupidly simple answer, but like, I, I kind of already said it, so I won't, I won't you know, run the stake into the ground too hard. If you're not having fun, you're not playing right. Mm. Uh, Dad, you said earlier. It's not the uh, it's not the destination. It's the journey, and that it's one hundred percent true. You need to prioritize the fun and work everything else around it. And there is nothing else that should be placed in front of it other than snacks, most likely. <laughs> um, 
But what I personally prioritize when it comes to GMing and how I like to GM is, again, it's kind of already popped up, is improv and having the confidence to improv using the, the yes and scheme in general and effectively continuously and completely lying to your players that you have any control over anything that's happening. <laughs> um, so fun, obviously. But I was going to say that what counts as fun? I mean... My my goal when I'm when I was I haven't done it for a long time. My goal when I'm DMing is to keep the players engaged. So what one group likes is not necessarily what another group will like. Some some groups are like I, I his perfect example would be Alex did that really intricate uh, maze of rooms, the red dungeon, the red maze, red oh, maze. Yeah. Now I really loved that. I really enjoyed that because I like that kind of that. That goes. That's the old. <laughs> it's, it's Both the old, exactly I how know, I feel about exactly. it. <laughs> it's the old style dungeons thing where you have to solve a puzzle, get through the room. There's some way of getting out. It's puzzles and progression, and some people love that, and some people hate it. Some people like pure improv, bouncing around ideas, buying Fisher King toys for two hours. <laughs> yeah, and you've got to, as a GM. You've got to, you can try whatever you like. I mean, that's the whole point. You run the universe. Mm. So you can you've try got to whatever find the right you like. Balance. Exactly. But, the, but you, as Alex was saying, you've got to, if you're doing something, you think, you know, like for me, I love that kind of thing. And if I set something like that up and I thought, this is a fantastic, this is brilliant, this is, and you lot are all in there, and 20 minutes in, you're all going, oh, God, I'd be like, this isn't working. So this is not what you want to do. And that, that, as, we, as we were saying, the journey is the point, not getting to the end of the maze. That's not the point. The point is to enjoy going through the maze. And if you're not enjoying that, it might. If this, if I was running that, and I'd be like, okay, this hasn't worked. That's where the improv will come in. You find a trap door. You find your way out. Boom! You're into a different situation. So you're trying to work around, work out, and you'll find out quite quickly the style of thing that the players you are DMing for or GMing for enjoy. Our group, we like a bit of chaos. We like a bit of <laughs> ridiculous banter backwards and forwards. So, Alex, let's just do that. We get into a situation, and Rowan as well. We get into a situation. They think, I, I know what's supposed to happen next, but they're having fun, so I just leave them to it. And we just talk about the most nonsensical things, do the most stupid things for a while. And when that energy of that, whatever we're doing, starts to die down, they go, right, okay, that's run its course they've enjoyed that bit let's move it forward let's do something else and you can and that that's the that's the that's key to what you're doing as the, as a gm yes you have your waypoints and you want to get from a to b but how you do it and what the players do in that gap is have fun and that if that means they spend hours and hours in the same bar talking about what's the best beer in this bar let's have a big drinking competition and then you go on to the next waypoint and it's right outside the door that's fine or if they're like, okay, we've got the, we've got the uh, this mysterious note. I'm out the door now, and it's it's a, a journey across the wilderness, having random encounters to get to that waypoint B. That's also fine. It depends on what the players enjoy. Alex, is that an add-on to your dad? Yeah, very quick it... one. Cool. I only wanted to just put a little caveat into: do not mistake. Let's pretend there's, you know, as we tend to have like five people playing or four, four people um, playing one GM. Do not uh, 
think that because two people are having a lot of fun, everybody's having a lot of fun. It is no, also good so to true. recognize that sometimes some people might be just not enjoying the situation. And though you can let it run a little bit because people are entitled to their little section to not let that be the next four hours while some people just sit there going, I'm going to roll my dice and see how many sevens I can get, you know? Ryan, what was your answer? Um, fun is objectively the correct answer. So thanks for taking that, Alex. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Um, my, mine is player agency um, more than anything. It the like even in the creation of the world, it would not be what it is without all your input. Um, and I try to make sure that you guys have invest investment in the story. Um, that way, and in that way, you, you guys know what's m the most fun to you. So if you have that amount of control, um, then you're having fun that way. Yeah. So like, as a player who's um, played with most of you guys, GM, and unfortunately, Mark, I haven't with you yet, and I I need to get you to GM for me. I have a fear but, for I'm a, trying for <laughs> So like, um, obviously. Get a little bit of a hint to the next um, how to GM session. We're going to be talking about a one shot and building a one shot. And like, I have a quick idea about it, but I love the fact that like the next session for this will be us building this one shot together because I, I find as a player being part of the world building just makes it so much more enjoyable. Mm. And so, like, obviously, this. Um, campaign with alex we are all part of it anyway because it's based off of what we all did last campaign but last campaign starting it all i found it so enjoyable because i came in and said hey i want to live around here and alex was like oh yeah where do you want to live and i was like i want to live on this mountain and he was like oh but rose already decided like they want to live up there i was like oh awesome Rosemary, a city or a town or whatever, do you want to live there? I was like, yeah. So we built this town, mainly Row. I had I, like, I'm can roll. I just add this in, please? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you built like, some of the underlying infrastructure for it. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, like, you're like, I built this and I'm like, well, can I just add this little bit in? And it made playing that campaign so much fun as a player. Uh, that is definitely something when I do eventually GM, I want to aim for because I think. Having your guys' input is going to be the most magical bit of it all because it makes you guys invested. Alex, is this an add-on for me? Because I know Joe had his hand up earlier. It is, but I'm I'm happy to step back because I have spoken a lot. If if it's an add-on, then go ahead because mm -hmm. mine is a, a a next thing. Sure. Uh, I was just going to say, you say like you know uh, you chose where you wanted to start. I I made sure, and I feel like I it's. I made it available for C3, but it was more for C2 because I had so little of the world defined at that point. Uh, I went to each of you and I said, here's a map, here's all the main cities. Point at the map and say where you want to come from. And that includes like points that don't have cities on them. Mm -hmm. And then if you selected somewhere that doesn't have any law, my next question was, what law do you want there to be? Which is why Veluna mm -hmm. had, why, why Rowan had so much agency over Veluna. Because I was like, where do you want to be? And they were like, I don't know, there. And I said, cool. What? what do you want? And they were like, what do you mean? I was just like, what do you want? Let's talk. Yeah. And we spent 
I'm, I'm not even exaggerating what must have been 20 to 40 hours talking about just all of the, the intricate little bits and pieces, getting it completely defined, which is why it's such a good and, and built-up city. But I like to do it with all of you, because again, with the play agency, it makes you feel more involved. It means you're going to have that fun. There's a, a research point that I've sort of looked into that, surprisingly, people enjoy films when they already know what's going to happen more than if they mm. don't know what's going to happen. And I feel like that kind of touches into this way. If you already know the cities that you could go to or the, the things that you could expect to see, not quite in the same way as knowing the story, you're going to have more fun because you feel more involved. Mm. And I love as well, like with our group, we are, the way we all understand each other is amazing. So like like I said, I muscled in on Vogue building this city that we all absolutely loved, but I muscled in on it. I was like, hey, do you mind if I put my character in this? And do you mind if I add a couple of bits? And Vo was perfectly happy with it. And that's what I love about all of us is any one of us could have built that city and any one of us could have gone, hey, do you mind if my character moves in and I add a few things to it? And we would have all been like, yes. And it just makes it even more special, not just like from Alex doing the GM bit, but from us lot working together and building it all. And I think... I'm never going to like go, you have to do this to anyone. But I think personally, if you are going to GM, starting now is a really good point to start with, is just working mm. with your group to create a story and an atmosphere and everything that everybody is going to love. An element of being, of, of keep, of involving your players, if you can, like, with our situation at, mm. at the beginning before you start the campaign like alex does you go through with each of us the backgrounds of our characters it gives you the opportunity of doing what he can then do which is he'll take what we've said about our characters and he'll work out some something that will surprise us mm. and if you can bring in a little surprise from time to time about your own character about that's great if you can sort of a little left hand turn you weren't quite expecting that relates to the backstory you've given. If you could do that, that works really, really well. It keeps people interested. It's like, oh, oh, that's it. Oh, oh, where's this going? Yeah. So, like an example for that is um, from what I remember. Me and Rowan sat down and created the sisters that we play in C three, and one of our things was like, we're not overly like we don't overly get on with our parents, so, but this is our dad, and then when the whole group went over to where we live. We all met with our dad, who we we had like this bubble we made of it, and then Alex came along and popped it and was like, "Oh, by the way, your dad actually has feelings and actually cares about you guys." And it's like, "Wow, shit! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, that's not where I expected to go with that. I really like that little twist in it all." To be fair, you I. You went over there, or like the first time you spoke to your father, I was like, all right, I'll just check the notes. What have they given me? Talks like White Bane. <laughs> I'll admit, I'll admit yeah. I haven't been given a lot. <laughs> Literally. We didn't, we, we didn't really plan much for the dad, but the one thing that we unanimously agreed on, and it was a case of we both went, how do we want our dad to be? And we both just went, talks like White Bane. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of a bumbling oaf, like yeah. 
Very White Bane-ish. For people who haven't haven't heard, White Bane is uh, Mark's character from uh, our first one, The Lost. Our very first. Yeah, and I, I forget as well, Joe. You weren't even part of that. Uh, no, it's my favorite campaign because I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is like, you feel, like I feel like you've been with us from the start, even though you haven't. So, like, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm like, no. oh yeah, like white bay, all, all downhill and from partway through uh, C2. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, we seem to be going off, uh, and I can't remember where the track was before I started bumbling on. Um, oh yeah, Joe, you were talking. <laughs> that's all right. So, it, what I was going to say. So the, the, those kind of three ideas that we've kind of talked about, and then there's a fourth one that's kind of been floating around in there. So fun, um, player agency, and I can't remember the term that you used, Mark, for yours. Do you remember what it was? Sur- surprise? Which one? That might have been it. Uh, it was engagement. That was it. Player engagement. 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 That's it. Um, yeah. So those three things, 100%, I think, should be your objective for the game as a DM. Um kind of in that order as well, uh, personally. Um, I So I'm going to talk about the things that you should prioritise in terms of your skills as a DM. And it's that kind of fourth thing that has been floating around, which is your communication skills. We've talked a lot about how much we talk, and massively featured in there is how much Alex talks to us about the various elements, as well as communicating player to player. Again, not even necessarily at the table. But communication from the DM is super key because you're not only, or not only should you be setting your expectations as to like, hey, I would like a backstory from you about your character. I would really love it if you could include something for these elements, for example, but you're also, you're you're kind of, you're setting the culture for how the campaign progresses. And there is, I think, a lot of people who, who have run campaigns um as like a sole dm uh i think we're we might be quite unusual that so many of us have dm'd um will often find that they become like perhaps unsurprisingly a bit of a linchpin for their group they they end up being in charge of when the when the group meets and if people can't make it it's probably the dm that they that they let know i know that i've I've certainly encountered that Mm. um so your communication skills is a massive part of it um, for a kind of a large variety of reasons. I'm not going to have every single one of them, um, but I do just want to touch on two of them which are related. So the first one is Mark briefly mentioned about um, kind of having getting information in from your players at the beginning of the campaign or before it starts. So having a session zero, uh, I would fully recommend. Uh, it's not always a hundred percent necessary. You know, for people that you've played with for a very long time uh, or that you know really well, um, you, you might not need to have have a full session zero um, because you're already on the same page. It could end up being a little bit of a waste of time, but I would say that's probably un- unusual because in there, again, setting expectations, you can, is, it's going to affect how the campaign goes. Because if you, as a DM, you want to run a really dark and gritty campaign that focuses loads on the survival rules, for example, and you're tracking how many you know, miles per hour the, the party is traveling along a map rather than simplifying it down to it's three nights, for example, and you're going through rations, etc., etc. 
if you have a player who wants a Scooby-Doo like adventure, a player who would love something a bit more kind of Star Trek Next Generation y like philosophy based, like it's about the the morals of what the party's doing, and someone else who they really just wish that they were playing Doom, you you're then you're you're not gonna it's not gonna run very smoothly. And what kind of has been said about people's different kind of subjective versions of what is fun if you're not kind of at least all reaching some kind of consensus your campaign is just frankly not going to last very long because it's not going to be very enjoyable um then the other thing i wanted to quickly touch on as part of communication skills is safety tools uh so i feel very comfortable saying out loud to all of you if we were kind of reaching ground that made me uncomfortable at the table going sorry guys sorry to interrupt i'd just really prefer if we kind of steered away from this topic and there's you know people will have their own areas of conversation or role play that that might be um there are tons of horror stories on youtube and reddit of people yeah. kind of who have not been able to say that i feel very comfortable speaking up some people might not uh, there are tons of great safety tools um that you as a dm or prospective dm can find online um, so I'll not kind of go into a bunch of them, but even if you don't think it's necessary or because again, you're all really good friends or whatever, because you aren't in all of those people's heads, there's never anything wrong with saying, mm. uh, here's, you know, here's an X cards, for example, that you can just, if you're at a table, just slide it out into the table and everyone then knows to move on to something else. Or, you know, we, we could hold it up on our cameras and as soon as it's noticed, you know, move on. Those kinds of things should always be in your kind of toolkit, I think. Um, even if you never use them, you know, which hopefully you never have to. Uh, and all of that kind of builds up, again, the expectations, the kind of the culture um, and having... I think prioritizing communication and then those other things as skills, massively important. Yeah, and just by adding on to that a bit, like no matter how much you know your friends that you're playing with, they need to be able to feel like they can speak up because, like you said, you don't know what is in their head. Like I've known Alex and Rowan for 10 years now and I still at this point can say something that, may trigger one of them because I don't know what could. Mark has known Alex from the day he was born and can still say something that could trigger Alex. Absolutely. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> and, and with, yeah, you, <laughs> with you as the DM as a as a, a linchpin or a central point of the game, you are although if you think of it like central point and then out like a spider's web all those players are still connected to each other by various things, yeah. but you have that kind of central responsibility of um, going, oh, so for example, uh, if it had never come up, Purdy, and I said to Alex, uh, that idea that we, we've talked about previously, um, about that idea that I have for a character who was a clown, Alex can then go, uh, I've got to just let you know, uh, that might be great for a different campaign, but not, not, not one that I'm part of because I will. Walk I, 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 I can't remember <laughs> if, if it came up first because you told me or if it had come up in conversation some other way. 
with Herdy. You told me first, and then I yeah. said, that's a great character, not going to work. There you yeah. go, then. And Already then I think we've then had the conversation yeah. afterwards. Mm. Yeah. I think as the GM, you have to control things like that. Like, if you are aware of certain situations, and, like, one of your characters came up and said, I want, like, my storyline to go down this route, and you're like, actually, I this is where I've got to take control and say, no, it ain't going to happen because it can seriously affect a different player or it mm-hmm. can affect me. You need, to, you need to know when you need to take control again because the main thing I've, I've kind of learned from, like watching you guys GM and play, being a player and everything, is you kind of, as much as you do control, you relinquish a lot of control out to your players. And you need to know when to really hard drag that back and be like, no, we just can't go down that route because it will affect the table. As a GM, you've got to think of yourself almost in this, sorry, we're talking about as the referee. Yeah. Football, in a football match or in a in a boxing match or whatever, you're the referee. You're not part of it, but you are, and you're staying out of it while it's going along, but you're keeping an eye on the rules, and, and when the need arises, you're the one. And by playing the game and, and acknowledging you, whoever you are, as the GM, the players are saying you are in control. They are acknowledging that, and it's it's fine for you as GM to say, hang on, I'm not going to say, this. You know, we get this at a technical level with some of the rules. How does this work? As a GM, you're the one who decides. You don't have to, as we've said in the intro to this, you have to stick to the exact rules, but you decide how the rules are going to work. You also decide how the story is going to work, how the characters are going to be. And if you don't like the way things are going, it's up to you to say, nope. And people normally go, yeah, okay, fine. And I have to say to that as well is, even if your players are enjoying the route that it's going down, if it's a route that is going to affect you as a GM, don't be scared to pull it back and say, no, we can't go down that route. Because if the GM isn't having having fun either, as much as the players are having fun, it ain't going to work. So you all need to collectively have fun. We've already briefly mentioned Yes And. Yes And, fantastic tool for improv Mm. and for storytelling. But the power of saying no is super healthy for the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right, Alex, you can put your hand down. We're going to you. Incredibly, that actually curls around to what I was going to say. Firstly, oh. fully in on the <laughs> I'm, whole... I'm just that good, guys. I know, I know. <laughs> well, firstly, I'm fully in on the whole safe space thing. Like, I, I feel, as I say, that I feel like I come back to this a lot. If your uh, group is not a safe space, something needs to change. Um, what I was going to come back to, because I believe at some point we were asked the question of what we prioritize. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, somewhere amongst all this. I have a thing that I prioritize that isn't like a, because obviously fun is the objective general answer, but I have something that I, I personally prioritize when I am GMing, which I, it'll surprise all of you. Law consistency. Do you mean law L-A-W or law L-O-R-E? L-O-R-E. L-O-R-E, yeah. Um, it's just a thing for me where like rule and law consistency helps me firstly, not have my brain explode. But secondly, I personally have a lot more fun when 13 sessions ago, you you said one thing and that's how the world works. Even if that was the first time that ever came up, you know, and then 13 sessions later, I'm like, well, that's already a thing that's been set. So though we may find alternative paths, that is, I I want that to be relatable. 
I have so many. Have you seen my notes? Do you, do you want to go through all my notes? <laughs> no, I do not <laughs> want to go through your notes. It's bad enough that you have created your own fuel system. That I know I keep bringing this up, but I cannot get over that. I do not need to go into the law of anything else of yours. Why? You've got your hand up. But also, people shouldn't feel so upholden by their uh, lore that it drives them mad. Oh, no, 100%. Yeah. This is why I said that's a personal <laughs> thing for me that is not necessarily yeah. what everybody should do. Yeah, I, I I definitely don't remember things, and then other people don't remember things either, and then we just change it, and everybody remembers the new way, and that's fine. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I think as well, like, with that, don't be afraid to retcon and change things up. I know, Alex, mm-hmm. you mentioned retcon earlier. If it's something like you created this law, and then 13, 14 sessions down the road, they're like, oh, but like, can we just change it a bit? Retcon and change it if that's what the whole group wants, not just because one person's gone. Do you want to quickly define retcon? Because I know that won't necessarily be in everybody's vocabulary. Oh, yeah. That's true. I think it stands for retroactive continuity. Do I have that right? Oh my god, too many long words. Yeah, it, it is retroactive continuity, <laughs> although retcon is its own word at this point, but it is yeah. the act, practice, or result of changing an existing fictional narrative by introducing new information in a later work that recontextualizes previously established events. There you go. For instance, there was uh there's a big retcon that we have to do at the end of the last Harris chapter because uh yeah, yeah. yeah, it's totally just forgot what we initially said with Bones Loans. Difference. Yeah. Check yeah. check chapter one of Tale of the Curator and chapter the last one. I don't know what the number is. <laughs> uh, you'll you'll go mad if you if you watch one after the other <laughs> or listen to one after the other. Uh, I'll be honest. Right now, I saw a bunch of hands up at some point. I know Joe, you've still got yours up, and I think Mark, do you have yours? Mark had his up as well. It's been covered in the intro. Okay. Yeah. From what Rowan said about kind of don't uh don't like be driven mad by your own law, there is a great DD meme that kind of dust around every so often where it's written by the DM and he's saying that he's basically he's the these players mainly play in this one city. Uh, that has a large mountain in the middle of it, and they currently found themselves back in the past. And when he was describing it, he accidentally didn't say anything about this mountain. And so at the end of the session, they, you know, they've had a good session. It's great. They're in the past. That's exciting. There's cool stuff that they can do, cool people that they can meet. And one of the players said to him, I can't wait to find out what happened to the mountain. Like, what's going to what's gonna make, cause this mountain to be there? And the DM was just like, <laughs> Me, me too, buddy. Uh, I can't wait to find out what I'm either. <laughs> and I think that's a really good attitude to have about it. Like, even if it comes from a, a mistake where you have uh, either left something out or you have changed something, you know, it doesn't have to be big time travel related, but it could just be uh, you go, oh, you know, spend a little time, time. There might be a really neat solution, in which case, great, it's this and you can weave it into the story or it can be its own little element or and again there's nothing wrong with if the next session the dm said i forgot to say the mountain is still there um because i couldn't i couldn't think of a way to have a mountain up here uh without it being a major note that you would already know um there's nothing there's absolutely nothing wrong with that so what i kind of gathered from all of this um especially if you're a first-time gm 
don't be scared to retcon. Um, I think personally, I might be doing a lot of it uh, the first time I ever GM because my short-term memory is shocking. Like, half the time I can't remember what the original question was, like, doing this session right now. So <laughs> my short-term memory is so bad that I'm probably going to start a session and be like, yeah, you're on, a, like, a, a top of a mountain. And then, like, 20 minutes later, oh, you're actually in a spaceship. Because <laughs> We're on question bad. two. <laughs> oh, oh, oh really? Oh, I was going to say no, use it as a tool. Broken teleporters, yeah. broken we've, teleporters, we've done, just appear in yeah. random places. <laughs> we've done what? What do you focus on, and what should you prioritize? Right. Okay. Well, that's great because I'm going to move on to my favorite question: How do you control the chaos? You don't. You know the ship thing and the wind thing that Joe was talking about earlier. Yeah. That you you don't you you just go with it. I, I mean, I agree, obviously, with with, with Rowan. Of like, it, it is uh, the more the tighter you make the grip, the less control you have, which feels very counterintuitive. I think, especially if you're getting anxious about making a session be perfect, which is, by the way, completely impossible. Um, you might tighten the grip and be like, "No, they have to go this way. No, they have to go this way," and everyone stops having fun, and the chaos just becomes less enjoyable chaos and more just session chaos. In I feel like you're not going to get any of us to answer how do we control the chaos, but correct me if I'm wrong, anybody, but more what do we put in place to to make sure the chaos isn't the only thing happening, mm. um, which we've touched I, on a lot, like making a yeah. campaign kind of like Jelly, um, making sure that the players have a lot of uh, uh, agency over what's happening, they are allowed that control, understanding your players and their expectations, sort of having those conversations, session zeros, you know, this is kind of a lot of what we've been talking about already. Um, I use, you mentioned ages back that I like give little hints of what's happening in the campaign, but that is in fact my own controlling tool of like, mm. I will dot little bits here and there. And the ones where you go, oh, yeah, great. I'm like, well, that's not happening anymore. Well, the ones where you're like, fuck you, that's amazing. I'm like, well, we're obviously going down that storyline. Yeah. Um, and usually I, I do hit, and sometimes I can tell if you're enjoying it more. Sometimes I do just love antagonizing you. Uh, that's that's just like the, the We know this. You are very um, sadistic in that point. But yeah, it, it's um, understanding the players, the sessions, you as a GM, all of that to sort of make sure that the chaos isn't the only thing that's going to be happening. And in the, uh, in the case that you are a group that is entirely and only chaos embrace it and just let that be your fun so yeah like the reason why that was my favorite question of all of this and um, why i added it is because i know we can be a very chaotic group and i know that it's weird in a sense each time one of you is gm you've had some weird control over it and i don't mean like you're controlling it i mean like you find a way to use it to your advantage for the whole thing. For me, for this session, and it works for this session, I'd never do it for a campaign, is putting your hands up. Because I know if there was no hands up, Mark would never stop talking. We'd all be trying to get words in that wouldn't happen, and it would just be complete chaos. And I'd probably curl up in the corner and cry. Obviously... Yeah, you don't really control the chaos. And you shouldn't, because while people are enjoying it, that's great. The trick, and you were saying that, you know, these guys, all of them at different times, have had this kind of thing where we're all rambling on about something which is random, and somehow the story then starts to progress. And 
So we talked about waypoints, but you've also got to have goals. Hmm. And if you can make a goal something that the players want to achieve, they will sort the chaos out themselves. So it is nothing, it goes back to what Joe was saying, but you get more of the chaotic things when there's nothing much going on. If you just had a, a, a sort of a big denouement from a, from a story point, and you're about to start the next bit, there's like a sort of moment of stillness. And in that moment of stillness in the story terms, it's where the chaos comes because everyone's like, well, not quite sure what going to do next. And they start talking about buying things for Fisher Kings because it's the end of an <laughs> arc, you know. Well, that was what kind of what I meant by controlling exactly. the chaos because Fisher Kings somehow came about and so did collecting uh, beanie babies or whatever we're collecting. And that is how Roman managed to control the chaos to a point exactly. by making that. <laughs> Uh, part of the story. An actual thing and part of the law that exactly. there are all these beanie babies to collect and there's Fisher Kings everywhere and we can go to it. And that was kind of, in from my point of view, Rose's way of controlling that little bit of chaos and exactly. not letting it get out of hand. And so what you can do, if you're in a situation where there's a chaotic situation, and as I say, it's normally going to be, even one of these quiet points, these sort of, the game is going to be doing like a, a sine wave. And when you're in one of those dips and it's a bit chaotic, that's fine. If you want to control that chaos, if you want to move the story on, you introduce something which they, the players want to do. So you don't try and you can you, you do what Rowan did. You, you you embrace the thing about that. If you in that situation, you embrace it, as it so happens that was the end of that tale anyway. But if it was in the middle, you embrace the thing about the the toys you're going to get, and then. And, and everyone's really keen to get finish their collection. And you introduce a guy who's got that one that nobody has ever seen. Oh, my goodness, he's got a gold one. And he sees you, and you can say as a GM, and he sees you looking and comes over and says, yeah, I've noticed you're looking at my... And suddenly you've, got, you've moved the story by pulling that element, that area of chaos, whatever that thing was all about, and you sort of pull it gently towards the way you want it to go. And then they'll start to focus on, oh, I've got a goal that I can reach out and get. Mm. Maybe get some points, maybe get some money, maybe get an item, maybe get a level increase, something that players want to do. Or, as we said before about the individual characters, you know their stories. You know the story that they don't know. You get a little hint. Oh, I, I'm sure I've seen your face on a wanted poster down in so-and-so. You, you, you what? And, and suddenly there's something mm. that they want to do more than the chaos. So you don't have to sort of say, shut up! <laughs> you could just say, yeah. you know? Um, I, I didn't see that situation as chaotic so much um, with, with Fisher Kings. It was just, I, it was more of a player agency thing. You guys went to Fisher Kings and somebody asked, is there a toy in the Happy Meal? I'm like, let me think back to something in my childhood, make it feel more grounded in the world. Yeah, there's little beanie babies on limited time run that you can collect. And you all went feral. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, actually that kind of caused of chaos but yeah, you released the polis back in with it at the same time yeah it, it, it's just I, I feel like it gets chaotic when there's not something to latch on to so it's mm. I, I guess giving you something to ground to ground the group back into the world mm. I don't know um, it, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to flow with the chaos it's like finding about finding the right wavelength um, with with the group, I think, and then melding that back into the world. Uh, it's super interesting, actually, hearing Cody. You say something 
then dad you say something and then rowan because it, it, as you were all talking it's just in, enforcing my point of what i'm going to call respectful chaos and the reason it's super interesting in that order is because the two of you that spoke first <clears throat> excuse me are two that are a part of the group but have not gm'd for the group and then rowan and then obviously myself and i don't know if joe will reflect this have gm for this group I think they might understand more what I mean by respectful chaos, which is we have as a group a very solid uh, unity. We understand each other and we understand sort of where the boundaries are, even within that chaos, to the point that you, you kind of brought it up. Like you said it, I think, in the wrong order. Like we had a lot of chaos going to Fisher Kings at the end of the session, but luckily it was it was an epilogue. I think that's the wrong way around. It was an epilogue. So we all knew that we had a lot more agency to be a bit more chaotic because mm. there was only a few things to bring up and we weren't interrupting a story. Anytime that you have been chaotic in C3 or C2, any of them, it's always within the bounds of what is reasonable and controllable because true chaos, true chaos I would say, would be just killing Jay. Just walking up for no reason, stabbing her in the gut and running away. And like that is actual chaos that just destroys a story, destroys everything. There's no reason for it. It's just like, what is happening? But none of you, of course, are going to do that because you enjoy the campaign, but you have respect for the bounds of what we're doing as a group. We have respect for each other. So though it may feel from a player's perspective like it is complete and utter constant chaos, you may not even notice that everyone is fitting within the bounds mm. and making sure that it is reasonable, it is respectable, and nobody is destroying anybody else's happiness on purpose. Yeah. I've got to admit, as you when you said killing Jay, my heart instantly hurt <laughs> at that one. And a part of that is because of the respectful chaos. Like I love Jay as a character, but also like the thought of just doing that for no reason. It just it would never cross my mind. And that is, like you said, because of our respect for chaos, we wouldn't randomly go and do that for no reason. And I can back to something I heard Joe say, you hear these horror stories on Reddit and stuff where players have done stuff like that and have caused chaos by just being disrespectful. And that is a big thing for all of us is we're respectful. Mm. And it has been... We've not actually used that word, but it's been touched upon a couple of times in the past questions of we respect each other, we communicate, we listen, because that's how we are as a group. And I think the main thing about all of it is having that as a group. It's, I think the reason that that, that, that kind of thing is a horror story, why we as a, a group wouldn't do it, it goes back to what I was saying about the GM is the referee. And this kind of game, it's a team game. We are working as a team. And if you have somebody who does something that doesn't work for the team as a whole, I mean, it's one thing to play an evil character. But even if you play an evil character, you tend to be playing a character who's evil outside the team. Somebody who's just randomly stabs people, steals their stuff, whatever, within the group, within the team of, of characters. It's not fun for the other mm. people. It's a selfish act for the person playing that particular character. And they may be having fun. But the game as a whole isn't fun. And mm. as long as everyone treats it like a team game, everyone's supposed to have fun, it works. But I can reveal to you, Purdy, that there was that there is something that I'm pretty sure you won't have clocked what it was or when it was. I'm sure Alex will know what I'm talking about. That there was something that I checked with someone about how you would feel about something. And you were consulted in a subtle way how you would feel about something happening. Um, but because 
of how you would feel, that thing then did not happen because it would yeah. upset you. Um, and when we get to the end of uh, of the campaign, I'll tell you what that was. Um, <laughs> I, I but, think I have an idea of what hmm. it may be. So because we're rational, reasonable, sensible people, w- most of the time, um, <laughs> it, it, often it wouldn't occur to us to refer to it as respect mm. because we're not mean to each other. And I think, and again, this is something that comes a little bit with experience. I think a lot of people might refer to it as a narrative sense or a game sense. And there's a position, there's a few times where kind of respect, narrative sense and game sense might not all line up for the person who is in the DMC. Um, I think the best example of it is like a villain monologue. If you, if you know, you might be at this big kind of climactic scene and you've kind of got this villain monologue worked out and it doesn't occur to you because to your narrative sense says they will let the villain monologue and you might start to go, I've got you here and this is my grand plan and I'm going to do this. And one of the players might go, I cast Fireball and you don't get to do that. Now, (laughs) for the player, their game sense might be uh, the villain's monologuing. Of course, I'm going to try and take them by surprise. The narrative sense might have gone, well, this makes sense in terms of what the character would do, what the party would do, etc. And it doesn't occur to them that you might have put in quite a lot of work to that. Mm. Now, you as the DM, that might be something you put a bunch of work into and you would really like to do. So... and again, there's safety tools, communication. Um, mm-hmm. You, in that situation, you might go, "I would actually really love to do this," and then, mm-hmm. and then we can kind of go straight into combat because it's about to get complicated. Mm-hmm. Or you might go, "Oh, I, I can see where this is going. I can see why this makes sense. Let's roll with it," and then you kind of you move on. Uh, or you might, again, pull the thing of uh, counter spell, force cage, and now you're trapped there. Um, and they have to listen to you monologue. There's different ways to approach it, but it's an example where kind of respect, game sense, and narrative sense don't always kind of mesh well together. And those things Mm. do kind of crop up. Um, I did have something else. I've totally forgotten it. So the main thing that I have learned is respect, building almost like a family within your group, like just understanding each other and having that closeness and yeah, respect communication and just having a great team like we have. Focus have on the great... fun, don't spend the details. Yeah. I have remembered the the thing that I had forgotten. It was to say, yes, what Alex had said about it's kind of like safeguarding um, the chaos um, and putting it in like an arena, I think is is a good thing to do so two quick examples one the wintermas one shot which if you haven't listened to um you can uh where i basically said here is a winter season holiday festival here are the things that are inside it if you have things in mind that i have not listed just say and they can suddenly be there so i think rowan immediately said is there axe throwing there is now uh, is there a uh, a St. Nicholas cosplay contest? Sure. There is now. Yes, there is. Uh, and then another one was in a home game, the kind of like Scooby-Doo Detective-y one I was, uh, I've been running. Um, they were investigating a circus. So I 
set the location, I set the characters inside it, and then I was like, um, there's no, I can set clues and things for them to find and things like that, but I can't plan out a whole investigation because I'm not investigating it and I know the answers. So it was then, here is your arena, here are all the things in the arena, improvise, go, do, do whatever, and I will adjust and move things around. Um, so yeah, so I think safeguarding and that kind of interplay of the respect that when people recognize that they are in an arena, uh, to then not go, I'd love to go and start our own in <laughs> that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody who DMs or GMs will do it slightly differently and it'll mm. depend upon how you are, what kind of person you are as to how you approach it. So all these are ideas. And the best thing that any GM can do, I mean, ultimately, it's a bit like, so I teach fencing as a hobby, as in sword fencing. And so I teach the stance and how you hold the sword and you do do that. But of course, if you look at anybody who's good at fencing, they don't do any of that. Because what happens is you, you look at the basic rules of this is how you start. And then you develop your own way from that. And what you develop is never anything like you expect it's going to be just, you just, organically evolves same for gming you'll start with all these ideas how i do it how joe do it does it how alex does it how Rowan does it and you'll take all your bits you think you like best and you'll try and use them and some will work some won't and you'll come up with some other ideas and after a little while you'll look back and say i i i didn't do it when i started i was like this and it wasn't right this is how i should this is how i dm or gm mm. and you will develop your own way of doing it so that's what i was gonna say do we have any Pam's pearls of pearls of wisdom with it? Uh, there are some. <laughs> We've got three Cam pearls of wisdom today. Ooh. Wisdom, wisdoms, pearls of pearls of wisdom. Yes. Uh, so the first one is think about how you interact with the people in your game. Do you usually have DMCs or deep meaningful conversations? Uh, do you low key roast each other? Do you speak in meme? That will likely feed into how everyone talks and acts during the game. Remember, putting loads of heavy roleplay on someone who is shy or a complete shitposter will end in silence or shitposting. Mm-hmm. Yep, 100% on that one. Uh, Pearl of Wisdom numero dos for our international listeners. Uh, <laughs> don't force yourself into a style that doesn't come naturally. You're going to be doing this for hours at a time, which is actually something I can't believe we haven't mentioned yet. Mm. DMing is an hours-long process. Um Uh, You don't want to make yourself exhausted by putting on a persona to game. Think of it as something you want to come easily to yourself so you can focus on bits that require more thought. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is uh, your style is not necessarily everyone else's style. The game can change in tone as it progresses. The story you wind up with uh, at the end may feel very different to the one you start with, which is a fun thing. The game isn't wholly yours or wholly the player's. It's a collective creation. Mm Mm-hmm. Thus ends this How to GM's Pearls of Wisdom. I love it. I can't believe we, we hadn't even touched on the, the length of time because I yeah. I get a little bit of brain drain as soon as I finish DMing. Maybe like there's about a twenty minute like delay period and then after that I'm I tend to turn into a bit of a, zom- a zombie. Um, and I also get really sweaty when I'm DMing, which I don't when I'm playing. <laughs> yeah, that, that is something I'm partly worried about because I know I struggle as a player for that amount of time, let alone being the GM. Uh, so, yeah, I am partly worried about how 
long it could be. It would be probably be different for the one that we do for this series, but if you wanted to take on a campaign and you were very aware yourself that if we go for longer than two hours, you will no longer be happy with what you are producing, then we can make our sessions two hours long. Yeah. yeah. Especially now we're on Fridays because yeah. but it's you, you can you will learn. You will learn what works for you. Mm. You will know what's best. Yeah. You might find, actually, it turns out when I'm in charge, three hours absolutely powers past and I can do every single second. You might find after an hour, not a chance. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, those kinds of things you will only learn through doing as well. It's it's unfortunately yeah. it's not something you you can do very much preparation for. It is just a you will find your limit when you get to or are approaching your limit. Which is exactly why we've said do, never do the campaign that you want to do as your first campaign. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was like, Absolutely. I know from doing the last How to GM that round about now my yawning starts and around about half 11 to quarter to 12, my brain starts slowing down and I leave more of it to you guys and I stop talking as much because for me, Fridays are a really long day because I have to get up at like six in the morning to get to work and everything. So Christ. staying up till midnight can kill me some night. Midnight. Shut up. <laughs> right. As I went to the toilet, I tapped the wheel and the wheel has came up with... Do you have a certain storyline you expect the campaign to follow or do you let it go with the flow? And I feel like we've kind of touched upon this a lot. Um, but yeah, Rowan. I don't have a storyline. I have things in the universe that are doing their own thing that will most likely intersect with what you guys are doing. Everything that happens in between, eh. I just kind of build out from around you and uh, things that are likely happening in that area. Alex, I saw your hand up and then we'll go to Mark. I agree. It definitely bouncing off the back of what Rowan just said. I think the term storyline is almost too like too restrictive of a terminology. Storyline mm. in, implies a single timeline. To go for an analogy, I feel like the best uh, one that people might recognize in in Marvel because it's such a big um, a big franchise. There's the whole like Doctor Strange seeing a million futures, and there's only one where you where they survive or whatever. That's the whole Endgame thing. But the whole there's a million different timelines that you can go down. That's more. I think how I end up viewing it. I don't specifically mm. think about where we're going to end up. In fact, I will tell you right now, outright, C three does not have an end. I haven't written yeah. one. I haven't. I never. I never wrote one for C two either, because I stick in waypoints, which are usually, and I'm using this term because it, it's actually a really good one, that are like two or three ahead of where you currently are, and they're constantly mm. changing. It's like pathfinding. They're constantly changing new information, updates, and moves it to a different direction. And you find a singular path through all of that insanity. And that is the storyline. But it isn't pre-planned other than the world has a lot of lore and stuff happening all the time. And I have a larger world, but same same as with Rowan. There's stuff happening in the background. I have uh, a file of like things that are happening. For example, the very, very dramatic news that happened most recently that I won't spoil in case people aren't up to it in C3. That was like a thing in my list of this is stuff that's happening in the background. And there's a whole storyline that led up to that that uh, most of you don't know. Um, and that just happened in the background, and then you interacted with that little bit of storyline. Um, 
but to say that there is like a path that you guys are deterministically going to follow or it is determined for you, it would be a complete lie because most of the time uh, it's just bare bones mm. and just fill in the details as you go. So I've got to admit with this question, I had to rewrite it a few times, try and get it right. Um, this kind of thing comes off of the fact that I know that C2 didn't have an ending <laughs> and didn't have like an end point it, it was had to get to. It ended where it ended at whatever story it ended on. Whereas I know with The Lost Prince, you said that you had an ending in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of, it all led to that ending. And that's what I mean by like, do you have a storyline? As in, when you do campaigns, do you have that end point and that is the end point? Or do you do what Alex is doing with C3 and has done with C2? Where it ends, where it ends and anything can happen. Just to clarify, C2 didn't, it wasn't a, it ends where it ends and whatever. It was more, the ending wasn't determined until you were about 10 sessions before the end. I well, yeah, no, that, that's like... what I mean by it ends where it ends, because you didn't start the campaign with an endpoint in mind. Hmm. You kind of let the story start writing itself and then go, oh, okay, this is where the end can come in, sort of thing. Mark, did you have your hand up at any point? I did. I did. Firstly, it can have a storyline. It depends on how you want to do it. So you can have a set of waypoints, and as we, as we discussed before, you're going to get them to go from here to there. You're never going to get them to go along a set of tracks and let them enjoy it. But you can say you're going to go from here to here to here to here to here, and the end. Lost Prince. You're going to find the prince. Mm. You're going to bring him home. You don't have to. What you probably do have to do is although you don't necessarily have to have a storyline that they are going to follow, in the same way that when you create a new character, when you create a campaign, you create your own backstory for the campaign. Alex is very good at creating a whole world with languages, with written languages, spoken languages, history, religion, economy, the whole shebang. You don't need to do all that. It's great if you do, because if someone comes up with some stupid question like how much does it cost to go from here to there, he can go... I've got a table about that. So alternatively, you could do what I would do, which is say, ooh, 50 gold. And then I'll make a note of it for next time you ask the question. So you don't need to have that level of detail, but you do have to have a sort of backstory of the thing that you want them to at least do initially. So you're writing, if you like, a chapter at a time. They don't quite write the story themselves because you are setting up the goal or the waypoint, the goal they're heading to. But you don't have to really think much beyond that. You can have a sort of general idea of where it's going to go if you want to. You don't have to. It's a good idea to ha- when they get to the waypoint to have the next one ready. So you don't want to get to the waypoint and then they, they've arrived at the pub. They found the magic ring. Woohoo, that's great. We found the ring. We found, what do we do next? And you're like, um, I, yeah, I don't really know. So you need to be a step ahead. But you don't need to be the whole story ahead. You just need to be a step ahead. Where is the next waypoint going to go? They don't know. We don't know as the players. If Alex has got the whole story mapped out ahead of us, or if he only knows what's going to happen over the next few days. And it doesn't really matter as long as it's ahead of where we currently are. Alex, I saw your hand pop up and then we'll go to Joe. There is a meme that you always see where you have a GM that has a story planned. The players say something and they go, that's way better than what I thought. And they scribble it down. 
do not mistake that for a meme that is entirely real. I have done that multiple times. I do it continuously in some cases, and it is such a useful tool. That goes back to our make sure that the campaign is fun. If that's what the players are expecting and want to happen, and they are gleeful in enjoying that idea, that's what happens. Mm. At least that's how I see it. Because why wouldn't that be what happens? Why risk seeing if the thing that you made was fun when they've already decided what's going to be fun? Um, I was just going to speak as our token short form, uh, like mini campaign and uh, published modules uh, DM, uh, because it ties in a little to what I was saying earlier about um, kind of putting people in an arena. So 100% the published modules and what I come up with for the um, like mini series have storylines. Um, I tend, just because of how I work, I tend to structure mine in the form of waypoints um, because I think that just works out a bit, a bit better in terms of just efficient planning for something that's only three sessions long, for example. Uh, the published modules, tons of detail that the players never see um, because part of it is it adds in fun for the DM, but also it's then it's there for the DM to draw upon if it's needed. And I think that lends itself really well to what what you're talking about in a campaign, even if it's sandbox style, uh, like we have with C3, uh, rather than kind of your linear storyline like in a module, is that even then it's never just one story. You've got each individual player's narrative arc, uh, even if it's not something that is currently being focused on. Like even when uh, we were... Uh, rescuing uh, from the um, everyone else was still undergoing their own story and narrative arc. Uh, an example being um, we met Luna uh, and Luna was introduced and had a narrative arc. Um, Cromwell was still doing stuff, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it is never just one single storyline. And I think trying to keep it linear and go from one story the whole way through is when people can start to get a little bit burnt out, even if they're invested and even if there's a sense of urgency, having them stop in a town to pick up a key or whatever, there could be other stories happening there. They might um, fix someone's marriage as an example, or they might break up a marriage or discover corrupt town guards. And then you've got a mini story in there that's happening parallel to them picking up this key so that they can then move on. Uh, but you're, what you're then doing is you're then putting them in that arena. Um, and the published modules, I, I feel like that is one of their strengths because there's less onus on you as the DM to come up with something because there are already things in there. And a lot of the time they will direct you to a bunch of NPCs in a town who all have their own thing going on. They might say, oh, I'd love if you could take this message for me. And that might be able to be done in the same session. That might be in six sessions time. And there's all of these little stories happening at the same time as your larger narrative arcs. In my notes, in my thousands of pages of notes, I very specifically have, uh, I have a quests folder in which all of your characters' names have their own folders because it's exactly what you're saying. Each character has their own storyline, whether it's a particularly strong one or a weak one. Uh, weak makes it sound very negative. Whether it's a particularly involved one or, or a fairly light one. Um, for example, uh, all of the stuff that's happening with uh, Maisie and 
with Carly as it's merged together is like one big thing that you guys are talking about. But when Simon was a part of C3, uh, they were never too interested in having a lot of deep lore in the background. So it always tended to be a little bit, a little bit more surface until I spoke to them about what kind of direction they wanted to go. And like right now, because Tina is new to the whole campaign, there's not a lot of like Tina focused stuff and we'll work on that. We'll get towards what you want Tina to be doing and such. So there's all of that. And then again, as you said, a lot of all the background stuff. Um, and I think we've been talking about waypoints and not necessarily breaking that down to the next layer. It's just within that, like having multiple directions that can be looked at at the same time, kind of like quest points, which means... Uh, the players hopefully don't get bored because if they're starting to get bored of one of the directions, there's still other stuff to look at. You know, everyone's always interested in one thing. You sort of go around from one to the other and sometimes some things feel like they have a bit more urgency. But at the moment, you know, uh, not to spoil too much from C3, but you've moved over to a different city temporarily and there's some stuff that you're going to look over there. There's nothing to do with Maisie and, uh, and Carly. And then once that's done, you'll sort of move back and go over towards maybe some Tina stuff or possibly some more uh, Montgomery Cartwright family stuff. And you sort of like bounce between the two. And then every now and again, I'll be like, time urgent stuff. You know, half the city just exploded. And it's like, okay, well, you know, we'll focus on that now. So, yeah. And again, just to add on again to this uh, uh, Ferrero Rocher tower of points that we keep, <laughs> keep continually building. Um, What's the question again? When, <laughs> when you have, and so it was about um, keeping to or not storylines. Um, when you do have something that is focused on a particular character or characters, but not everyone, not everyone's story needs to join up. So, for example, uh, we have recently found out that Maisie's narrative arc and Cal's narrative arc have intersected, and that's super cool. But not every not everyone is or needs to be like a chosen one but that doesn't mean that just because you have characters narrative arcs don't and aren't it going to intersect in that kind of very kind of core way doesn't mean that you can't sprinkle in things because it's not a character is not just their backstory that they have come up with that you are then kind of coming up with waypoints for they also will have interests so for example um just through kind of being a part of the party it may be that uh through in c3 um kind of and being kind of almost natural forces that that interlinks a little bit with neva's um druidic interest now that isn't necessarily a key part of uh Neva's kind of narrative arc moving forwards, but it's something that she's kind of expanded in. And it doesn't have to lead to an arch druid who she then becomes the protege of. It can just be, oh, and this has taken us to this village of uh, stars druids or whatever. Or it might be that um, we're pursuing something about the changelings and we find a scroll of chests that Tina can copy into her book. And then that that way you're still kind of hooking players into each thing without having everyone be a chosen one or everyone ending up along the same core path for their character. That feeds quite neatly into the original question, weirdly, about yeah. do you have a storyline or do you have, do you sort of make it up as you go along? It, it's very difficult to have a storyline. I mean, I, I know you said you can try and do one and you can try and do one. You can try and do one. But if you're going to be sort of adding in waypoints for the characters as well as the main waypoints for the story, how 
the main story progresses can easily be changed depending on how the individual character uh, storyline arcs progress. Because you set up a waypoint, this you've got this character's backstory, and you think, I know what I'm going to do with them. I'm going to have it that they were actually uh, the spawn of a demon, and they don't know it. Uh, and you'll bring that up at some point. But then how they react to that may change how they how the character is going forwards, and that could have an effect on the direction of the story going forwards. So you have a general idea of the, how the story is going to work, but you have to be ready on the fly to say, okay, this is not going the way I quite I thought it was going to do. So that, just to round, round that off, I was going to say that, therefore, the story itself is an ongoing, developing, organic thing. You may have a story. You may even have written a storyline to start with, but that storyline will change. When you get to the end and look back, the story you've actually written as the, as the GM across that campaign may not be quite the story you thought it was going to be. You will have written it because you've been keeping ahead of the game all the way along, but not necessarily quite how you thought you were going to. Mm. Just put in a little bit of the old devil's advocate just for the uh, uh, the fun of it. Um, if a lot of what we're talking about focuses especially on what what tends to be called experienced players, like people who have played for a while. We are all fairly confident in how to play a character, even though we joke, Pony, that oh, you've been playing for four years, you don't know the rules, but you're still used <laughs> to how to play. I you, still don't you, know the rules, yeah. yeah. Maybe so, but you know how to play as just as a player, not necessarily the rules, rules, just how to be at a, at a, <laughs> at a table. Just how to be at a table. <laughs> what I will say is the whole... Uh, the Lost Prince, as I've said multiple times, is one big storyline. But because everyone was really new to 5e, but more specifically just to TTRPGs in general, it kind of worked. And I think that lends to if you're going to have a table with a new GM and new players and no one really knows what they're doing, or at least they don't have the confidence to push those boundaries as we do these days and create their own storylines or whatever, it can be quite nice to have that, as we've spoken before, like pre-written content from the modules that can be created so that you have something to follow along, a structure to cling to and not end up feeling like you're out in the middle of deep water paddling your legs just trying to survive because uh, obviously that's not going to work for someone who doesn't have the skill, hasn't practiced the idea of being able to improv something out of the blue and make a you know three-session storyline have that you know that pre-written bit that you really want to cling to and i'm sure the players who aren't as used to it would love having that to cling to as well joe so my point is actually going to marry together a little bit what alex and mark said is there is an old uh, i believe it's an old military saying of no plan survives first contact with the enemy and when you're kind of thinking about story and you're thinking for the future it should almost be the opposite every story should survive the death of a character because we shouldn't forget the game element of this and the chance element of it of there's a very real chance that everything can go horribly wrong and a character dies and if you're playing a game where you do not fudge roles or uh fudging roles being kind of you you cheat a role essentially um uh for anyone who doesn't know and you don't like have an immediate way of bringing them back or the player is actually, oh, actually, I don't really want them to come back because I really want to bring in this character. Then you don't want to be kind of up shit creek without a paddle. Um, and as a player, it's something to think about as well. Like if Maisie uh, dies again, uh, <laughs> Spoilers. then highly possible know, there's, at all times. Yeah. Highly, super possible because <laughs> of the kind of, 
relatively volatile situation that they found themselves in. And her um, general disposition. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, so let's say, for example, Maisie dies. Now, if Alex didn't have a plan for the story, should Maisie die, that might really throw him at the table. That could knock the confidence of someone less experienced or even someone who is experienced, um, et cetera, et cetera. And as players at the table, we might not have thought about that. Um, but those times, even though it usually stems from something disastrously going wrong, create opportunity for character growth and development. Cal's journey of might, might go from prophetic protector to a journey of revenge because his like destiny has been stolen from him or he might feel kind of lost at sea both cut adrift by a god and by a loss of purpose there's all of these things that kind of branch out from moments like that but you as the dm should always keep it in mind that it's always possible for everything to go wrong including all of the plans that you've made gone to waste because a character has died the players being scared of players dying, or should I say not having a plan for players dying, generates accidentally plot armor in that your players become invincible because you're too scared of them dying, mm. which definitely happened in the first campaign. So it's like, I don't know what will happen if you guys die. So therefore, you might enter situations where it's dangerous, but you're never going to die because I don't know what to do with that situation that wouldn't follow the storyline that I have created. Whereas these, for C3, and I specifically said at the beginning, I said, it's not necessarily going to be brutally difficult, but if you get yourself in a situation where you're going to die, let's say you like you know go against the entire city guard, you're going to die. Like it, It's not one of these things where you'll have a Deus Ex Machina unless you specifically have that set up for some reason. Most likely, you're just going to die, and then you'll have to move on from that character. And it's not like I'm saying it's a threat or anything. I'm saying your, your characters are in danger at all times. It's just being prepared, as Joe says, for that situation and making it a bit more approachable. What, you're telling me Neva can't go do what she wants to do? And she can do anything that she wants to do, but she might die. <laughs> <laughs> Neva, no consequences. Yes, Joe. And again, it comes down to communication skills. Like, mm. if Rowan had... Like so, at the beginning of so, I, I think we all have the expectation uh, in this game that player characters can die. But if Rowan had said to Alex, "I really don't want Maisie to die. I'm super enjoying playing her. I'm really interested in where this is going. Please don't let her die." I'm fairly sure that she she would not have, bar something truly egregious that then they would have talked about, kind of like together outside of or the table. Similarly. Uh, me and Alex had something in place for if Cromwell died. Uh, that kind of I, I had said I've purposefully made him weaker in these areas and stronger in these areas because this is kind of what I'm doing. Um, and also, he has like six HP, and a natural twenty is likely to kill him. So we were like, so we came up with a plan for okay, if he dies, I I will say something along these lines and kind of cue you that that is what has, ha- has happened. And then, boom, 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 X, Y, Z may then very well happen. And it's, it's, that, it's that safety tool of, A, do you, are you on the same page with uh, character death as an expectation in the game? And B, um, how are the communication skills around that within the game? Now, did anyone else have their hands up or have anything to add? I don't believe so. Cool. We'll move on to the next question. What do you think makes your style unique? 
I like Thin Joe. I mean, we joke about it, but my obsession with world building, I would yeah. say, is kind of the path that I've taken. It was never intentional, but the I absolutely adore having a huge, massive world that you guys sort of play around in, like a, a massive sandbox. I've always been a big fan of open world games, Fallout, uh, Skyrim, all those sorts of things. And though they are there are paths to follow down, just like a and d campaign. There's just a huge world. You can just turn left 90 degrees, go in a completely different direction. There's still shit for you to find. So I've definitely gone down that path. I'd say that alongside learning over the last, however long it's been, four years, five years, that if I create a bare bones and sort of improv on top of that, I, I use the word improv, but sort of like build on top of that in the moment, which isn't quite the same as improv, then it generates what generates the situation that I like to be in, which is you guys can choose whatever direction you like, and you will always hit the points that I want you to hit. And if you don't, then I'll deal with that later. Uh, a classic example is in C2, I we sort of ended up generating a situation where a gold dragon exists and you could go and try and find them. And then that week I proceeded to write a 10,000 word uh, side quest based on something that I, was made up on the spot. You know, but I had all the world to do so. I had somewhere for it to be. I had something that it can do. It all made sense in the world. So I was confident that that's something that just can happen. Um, so it's definitely that kind of some like, plot. Well, exactly. And then that became like a, a huge part of the ending of the um, ending of everything. But uh, yeah, it's that sort of like massive world building. And we joke about the finer details. I just really like writing really specifically tiny details like chemical combinations and stuff. Oh, and then no. uh, <laughs> never knew that. And then, uh, yeah, just open probably on top. My reliance isn't isn't the right word, but my I, I heavily favour a more improv style of GMing with more um, more like skill checks for if things are happening um, or or when things happen or people want things to happen. Um, so it tends to be a little if I'm running something, it tends to be a little less role play heavy than like. A a regular campaign part of that comes down to time constraints um because i run the the short form stuff mm. uh but when i do the longer stuff i i don't do uh nearly as much planning as, uh, as it's not even a, <laughs> it's not even a particularly large fraction of the planning that, that alex does um i as i mentioned last time if i have a framework that that's all i need because i i know where to go quickly to find a stat block or, or whatever uh, if I want one um, or I already have it up on a tab and I'm not really looking at it until I get until I get to it and if we don't get to it then I just don't look at it um, I have also noticed uh, I, after a little bit of in introspection I tend to I tend towards the wackier zanier stuff I feel I don't know if you guys have noticed this with my characters I uh, really uh, I'm just I'm playing currently a sentient cube of slime. Uh, <laughs> um, you know what? Cromwell I'm learning a, only things about all yeah. of you today. Cromwell was a bit of a de of a departure for me because he was a bit more of like a grimmer character. But even so, still the whole like tentacle thing and and all mm. of that. Um, I th will never escape the image of the scabby tentacle. The scab tentacle, <laughs> yeah. Um, there was. Skintacle. I, I genuinely thought, bless you, Mark, because uh, you're sneezing, but I genuinely thought you were gagging for a second there uh, at the, at the <laughs> memory of the scab sneezing. tentacle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but like my first, my 
one of my fondest characters that I've ever played um, was for the Descent into Avernus game that Cameron, which was a uh, a Warforged robot called Jukebox who played a or had a saxophone that they would hold up kind of like a saxophone and then they would just emit music rather than actually playing it on the saxophone <laughs> and they I like that. through some through some happenstance we'd been going through like a ruined city in hell and we'd stumbled across these like like a, a cupboard full of towels or something and it then became a thing of they went around collecting towels from everywhere <laughs> uh you know so the kind of the wacky zania stuff and i find that i tend to do that in my dming so we did the kind of the the genre skipping um mini series we did the kind of uh twisted take on um the wizard of oz for example mm. uh so those kinds of things, I, I like to adapt stuff um, a lot into into things. Uh, there are some things that I found that I won't do though. Like there are, if there's a real world like celebrity, I'll try and avoid putting them in, uh, or just to get like a cheap laugh. Um, that doesn't <laughs> sound like yeah, something I, I would I, do I, at I, all. I don't think I've ever heard you do that. Yeah, can't imagine yeah. you going for a can't cheap think. laugh. <laughs> can't say. <laughs> can't say. In all of the time that I've known you, you've ever got a cheap laugh. No, no. No, 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 no. Uh, but if <laughs> you do it. happen to listen to the Wintermas uh, one shot, then there won't be anything like that. No. And you won't be remo- reminded at all of funny things that might have happened with uh, some events or, p- or past uh, characters. Um, oh, I don't know how none year. of us saw that one coming. No, Wait. I know. There's <laughs> well, we... no character, like a constant character coming up either. Why would that be pretty? What, what a strange thing to ask out of nowhere. No, there's like <laughs> no character that comes up every single time you do something. No. Well, that's just a, it's just a bizarre thing to mention. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> that's all you're up. <laughs> so yeah, so the I I don't I don't think any sane human being does the amount of world building that Alex does. Now, the only thing, the only other person I'm aware of who's done anything even vaguely similar is Tolkien when he wrote. Lord Don't of the even Rings. slightly compare me to Tolkien. <laughs> that's the closest I can think of because Alex, and it works really, really well. Like he has like, his uh, whole his whole own language and things, which I just like. Who would do anything like that? Well, exactly. Uh, who would just to clarify? <laughs> we're talking about Tolkien, Rolkin, Rolkin, Tolkien, right? That's, that's yeah. the one. Don't be rock and rock and rock. That's the thing. Um, so yeah, so rocking, rocking, rocking. I, I couldn't. I couldn't. Even if I did do that, if, even if I did try and create, first of all, I wouldn't have enough time. So I would start to create it, and I would lose mm. the will to live halfway through. And secondly, I wouldn't be able to remember it. I, I don't have the organisational skill. I don't think to to actually have all the documents in the right places. So if mm. somebody says. And what is the taxonomy of the slime worm we've just found? I wouldn't be able to go, open that document, open that document, look at paragraph seven. Oh, yes, they're descended from the uh, great slime worms of the southern desert. Yeah, I also think as well, like, some of the programs that, like, I know Rowan and Alex, I don't know if you still use it, but you used to use Obsidian. Still use Obsidian. Obsidian's great. And I find Obsidian with that sort of stuff is a lot easier to do that. Absolutely, it is. It's it's extremely organised. <laughs> yeah, but my, yeah. But my point is that I I don't do that. What I do do, I tend to do a sort <laughs> of. Do do. <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> 
<laughs> okay. So what I, uh, in fact, do, I said before about bay points, goals, blah, 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 blah. So what I'll tend to do is to create not just a waypoint as in they're going to get to a point and find a ring. I'll say they're going to get to a point and they're going to find a temple, which will have floors like this and people like this. And I've kept the, the guards will be like this and there's going to be this. They're going to have to solve these puzzles and the floor will slide open and they'll find something. And then so I'll have that bit defined quite well. So I'll have the backstory so I know how the, this temple fits in the world. And I'll have that particular waypoint and maybe the one after it defined quite well. And the bit in between, not so much. And that will develop as I go along. I will make notes as I'm going along so that when somebody does ask a question and, and I come up with an on-the-fly answer, I write it down so next time I can give them roughly the same answer. I, I think that is a skill in itself, Mark. I, it's something I wish I was better at because of uh, my the amount that I improvise stuff. I wish that I was better at writing things down in the moment um, to have that level of consistency. Uh, so I, I think that is in itself a skill to develop. Um, I have I have around me on my because because my memory is basically held held at the tip of a pen rather than in my head. I have as I sit here looking at my desk, I've got one, two, three, four pads around me at the moment. So I do stuff on my phone on the screen as well, of course. But physical pads, I've got four here, and of course I've got my leather book which I get out whenever we play, and I make notes in there as I go along as well. See, I tend to take notes as a player, but I am, like I keep saying, my memory is that bad. I have probably about seven or so notebooks just for Neva because I keep losing the notebook. So I'd be no good at that. So, well, yes, but yes and no. So what when I'm doing DM stuff, and I haven't done DM stuff, apart from that little session, we, the few sessions we had before we did uh, The Lost Prince, I haven't done DMing for a long time, but when I was doing the Lost Prince one, I was scribbling down notes as we were going along. And I was scribbling them. You've got, you, you control the, 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 the pace of the thing. If you want to have them chat amongst themselves for a couple of minutes while you make a couple of notes, that's fine. You need to make those notes. And at the end of the session, after you finished, I spent half an hour and just put those notes on my computer in a document in the same place so I can find it next time. I don't do that with my player though, so they're just in their little book up there. And that's why I can never remember anything because I, can, because I See, don't know where to look for it. I wouldn't be able to do that because I'm dead before the end of the session. Once the session ends, I'm in bed. Yes, but what, when you're DMing, DMing isn't just for the session. You've got to do the preparation as well, which mm. means it doesn't have to be afterwards. You can do it the following day. But what you do have to do is I'd do... I'd lose it in between. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But you have to do it sometime before the next session. so mm. that, Because it, it, what, one of the lessons I've learned the hard way is it's a lot less stressful. It's a lot... You, it's like it's procrastination. I don't want to do it now. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll do it later. But then you're worrying about it all the time. You sit down for 10 mm. minutes, get out of the way, and it's like, I feel so much better. I've done it. It's sorted. You'll think you'll find, you may find, when GMing, I think most people may find when they're GMing, there are times when you're not doing anything. You might be looking through your notes and stuff, but the players are talking, 
And that's fine. And I know for some people, because I've, I've had this sort of urge, you feel like I should be saying something, I should be doing something, maybe I should be directing them. But no, sometimes you can have like half an after hour stints where you're just like, I don't need to say anything. And that's fine. Those are the moments that you quickly write down. And I do Obsidian, so I can't lose it. You quickly write down the name of the tavern that you just mentioned, the name of the, a perfect example, actually, last session that we had, you asked, uh, Joe, Tina asked uh, Lucy the name of the law office, the law firm that she works for, which I made up on the spot. And then whilst there was a little pause, I just scribbled it down. And then I wrote it down later, as, as you were just saying, the next day or whatever. And now there's some details based on it, very minimal details. But like, you just use that little silence when you feel like you should be doing something to do something. And obviously you don't want to be not paying attention to the players because sometimes you come back and you're like, why are they suddenly talking about <laughs> whether we are, you know, the third planet away from the suns or not? I, what is what has happened? But, you know, uh, it's those little moments that you can just write it down. And then if there's no details written about something, it doesn't matter when you write the details about it because who cares? Anybody got anything else to add? I don't know what makes my GM style unique. I'd see... You know what you said that, and I was—I've been sat here trying to work out what makes your, from mm. a player aspect, yours unique. There was just something unique about yours, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think it's the more gritty and how, how how do I describe? I want to use the word world building, but I don't want it to be like the same as mine. You've mentioned it a couple of times of things happen in the world, and they happen alongside, and we kind of meet them at certain points. I think. You take a very, we are merely a speck of dust in the wind of your campaign and mm. things are happening whether we're paying attention to it or not. I can fully believe that if we just went away for a day or two in campaign and you know there was like world ending uh, things happening, you'd just be like, well, the world ended whilst you were pissing off over there and that's kind of where that's that's your like unique style of like it's a you know there's a lot happening that we aren't necessarily aware of. And yeah. we might interact with those moments, and that's what generates like these really interesting and important moments of our campaign. I think as well, like yours feels very intricate. In, 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 intricate. intricate. That's the word. I don't know what it is. It just feels very like Alex's one. Kind of feels like the wind hitting. This is a really weird way of me feeling like it. The wind hitting. Um, a slow moving river whereas there's always like ripples going on but it almost feels like it's such expanse and with yours yours feels like a, a dense wood that there are so many paths through and yeah I don't know where I'm going with it but that's how they both make me feel like they're both so jam-packed with so much stuff but in so many different ways I think it's merely the payoff of writing an entire world versus writing a smaller section of a world. With Rowan, we have visited, there's a little bit of extra world stuff, sure, but we have visited a town and a city, mm. which means there's a lot of detail on those towns, that those town and a city, which is why Valoon is so specifically written, because for the, a lot of C2 and a lot of C3, it was all focused on one very small area. And it means you can have a lot of these details, but the payoff of me creating an entire world and so much information about it is the players start to do start to feel a bit flooded in this mass of information and less like what you get. This this massive advantageous part of Rowan's style is this really intricate, tiny details, things happening like clockwork. 
uh, feel that you're trying to describe, I think. Mm. Yeah, like, I won't take away from either of you because you both put so much work in, but you both put it in in such different ways that you probably, I'm not going to say you are putting in the same amount, but you could be putting in the same amount because of the ways you put it in, it feels so different. And that's what I love about being a player for both of you is just how different but same it all feels, if that makes sense. I know Somewhere. what you mean. I do. Yeah. I, know, I know what you mean. I'm sure my compliments are coming in the post, Paddy. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to say two things uh, from Rowan saying that they didn't know what the, what makes their style unique. I would say certainly from the three of us, I think you lean more into uh, rule of cool and the kind of the rules as written is a bit kind of malleable, uh, which is not to say that, that me and Alex don't do that. I think every DM probably does that to an extent, unless you are hardcore rules as written. Uh, but I, I would say among the three of us, that stands out to me as something you do more than me and Alex do. Um, but the main thing is, I think it's totally fine not to know. You've DM'd one campaign. Um, so I certainly did not know what my DM style was. Uh, I mean, not that I had done all that much <laughs> introspection about it um, at the time, but after I did kind of my equivalent of what you've done, uh, still, there was still a huge, there's a huge gap between where I started to there, but also from there to here. Um, like in, in terms of learning and uh, while doing, in terms of the d d content and media that I've since been exposed to and learned from, uh, both what things I would like to do and things I don't want to do, um, and realizations made in the planning of uh, sessions and campaigns and kind of uh, in communication around session zeros and expectations, etc. Um, so and anyone who, who's, who's been listening and is like, I've DM'd a little bit. I don't know what makes my style unique. There will be something. Uh, if you would really like to know, uh, set up maybe something similar to this where we have just told Rowan things that friends. we think make mm. their... Yeah, ask the people who, who play at your table mm. and take from it a learning opportunity because it, it may well be that one of them says, I would actually love it if we did more combat um, because I don't think you do very much. Again, that's something... Again, I think I probably do a little bit more combat in my, in my style. So it may not always be something that you want to hear or expect to hear but it's always going to be a learning opportunity and at the same time kind of extend extend the hand and go is there something you would like more of that i don't currently do that you that you think probably hasn't occurred to me because there'll probably be something i appreciate the, the the responses i forget that this is your first campaign that you've ever done yeah i i didn't know that until you until you you said it last week i thought you yeah. did more yeah I completely forget it because that, that's the other thing like because I've like obviously played with you guys for so long just silly little things like the way you've built your campaign the way you run your campaign is the furthest thing away from what I think would be my first campaign if that makes sense I don't know I just think for your first campaign it is so well done absolutely and oh, big thanks. and complex to the point where half of us forget or didn't know it was your first campaign. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, it comes from a lot of watching and listening to other campaigns. and hmm. I, There's a lot of influences going on that have hmm. been building up 
into this world for a long time. Yeah. People do get very attached as DMs to campaigns that they make, the worlds that they create. It's another reason, again, Alex has already mentioned, if you're thinking about DMing, whatever you're attached to, don't run it as your first campaign because it won't, mm. it, the odds are you won't be happy with how it turns out. Um, run something else first, whether it be a module or something else that you have come up with that you're not quite mm. as attached to. Mm. But there can be a little bit of an element of not being able to see the wood for the trees of because you're so close to it, people who are observing you will be able to tell you things that you have not observed about yourself because they are not you. Um, and I think that it's always going to be clear with with something like D&D. Yeah. My first campaign I ran was so different from what we now do that uh, it doesn't really translate because, as you know, I started DMing in, I don't know, would it be in the 80s probably? 1800s, uh, yeah. 1800s, yeah. I mean, and and this, and I've showed you, I've showed you this before, my my, my little folder. Back when this, it was still stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and this that is how one of the things you could use uh, to create your dungeon. It was basically a dungeon. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I can put it a bit closer. You look down. There's a flowchart. Yeah, basically, not exactly. No, no. This is actually a chart of of creating things. So down the right hand side are a D4 and a D10, I think it is. Okay. So basically, you create your dungeon by rolling dice. You roll your D4, you roll your D10, you look up what it says, 26, says doors. So you put a door. You roll the dice again, and you can and you create on a uh, piece of graph paper, you create a, a map a bit like the, uh, the Red Maze. You create a dungeon layout like that, and you can use... You use your imagination, you use this as a, as a guideline, and you create this complex map, which I have, and then I give a blank piece of gra uh, graph paper with a little square in the middle saying, this, you are here, to the party, and they explore, and I say, you look down the corridor, you see it's 25 feet long, there's a door on the right, 10 feet down, there's a door at the end, double door. That kind of approach. So that you can imagine DMing that kind of thing is very, very, very different. You don't really have that free open world kind of thing. The second one I did was also in the 80s, and that was when uh, Rollmaster came, came out, which was uh, the, fir well, the first one I played of that kind of open world style, where you had to be able, you know, it was a, it was a revelation, revelation for us, who were like, we're going to play a level five dungeon, right, I'll get my level five character out, we just boop, roll there, and off we go. The new one was like, oh, if you want to be involved in this campaign, you have to get your character there first from wherever he lives. And it, it was very, very different. Now, of course, and then when, we, when you, Alex, you and I started mucking about with this before The Lost Prince, I ran a couple of simple campaigns. And you could see, actually, for the way I did that, you could see the elements of how I used to do the DMing in the, in the day because it was based on a revealed map. As you go along, the different sections of the map reveal themselves. So that's how I used to do it. But of course, as time's gone on and I, my style's developed, but you'll see that's probably why I do this sort of stage thing because it's the same, it's a sort of extension of the same kind of idea. I define a room, but and I define what's in that room, but you can't see it yet. I'll reveal that to you when you get there. So that's how I do it. I was going to jump on what Joe had said prior about, uh, which was jumping on what I had said prior, about not making the first campaign you do the one that... Um, you really want to do. We mentioned in the first episode of How to GM 
that The Lost Prince was my first campaign. I do remember you all saying you couldn't tell that it was my first campaign. Uh, it's a little cheeky, I guess, to say that it, it was my first campaign, but I definitely tested the waters of GMing prior to that with Rowan and possibly Purdy. Oh, yeah, we yeah, did because yeah, we did yeah, a couple yeah, of like yeah, yeah. really small a thing I called the core, which was like a floating cast in the sky where you had uh, like I do little sort of developed a bit more, but like I did some very small little one shots prior to just get used to campaigning. I did a little bit of touching on, so you don't necessarily have to like do an entire campaign that you don't want to do first, but you can do like little one shots and then do the big campaign because I know sometimes it's bursting out of your brain and you just really want to get that information out and you just want to do it. Yeah. What I was saying, I think, relates very hard to the first time you actually use the accent that you're trying to use for your character if you use an accent. Because you can think it's going to sound like this. You can practice. It's going to sound like this. You can know in your head it's going to be like this. <laughs> yes. Like it's going to be a perfect, a perfect, perfect accent. And then you speak. And the thing that comes out is not what you were expecting. And it doesn't mean it was bad. And it doesn't mean that you shift away from it. But it does mean that you have to go with what has what now appeared. Exactly. Which is the same with the campaigns and the one shots and stuff. Like you could fully expect something and then you try out with a one shot and go, Okay, I enjoyed that, but that's not how I expected that to go in the slightest. Yeah, uh, in the in the one shot with Chris's, uh, sorry, the, uh, the Wintermas one shot that Joe ran, my my character in that, Mary, uh, when you said <laughs> Joe to me, and now it's Mary saying, I hadn't, I hadn't at that point, still I hadn't worked out. What, what, how he how he spoke? I had no idea until I started speaking. I had no idea, but I just thought he's giving me a bit crazy. And I, and I kept I tried all sorts of things, it didn't work. So I had no idea until he actually spoke what it was going to sound like. That was the most bizarre thing. And that, it, was, actually, it was very good. It, it had a very feral qual quality, which I'm surprised <laughs> was not intentional. <laughs> oh no, it wasn't. It was very intentional. It worked. It worked. It worked as I wanted it to work, but it was. I just couldn't. I, I had all sorts of ideas. You and, trusted your role thing. playing gut. Yeah, I thought. Exactly, and to be honest, I've done that a few times with these things. I, like uh, White Bane's voice didn't really go the way I intended it to go. Not, and it's uh, now the inspiration for yes. many other voices. Yes. So White Bane's voice originally, do you, uh, this is, I don't remember if Joe's ever seen, but Alex, if you go back to the Minecraft days. Yeah, yeah. Minecraft videos. Do you remember Monty, when I. Mon Monty. Montgomery. Montgomery. <laughs> that was the kind of voice I was going to go for. Sort of half incomprehensible gibberish. And then it just didn't work that way. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, to be fair, though, most of what you say is uh, half incomprehensible gibberish. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I didn't want to be the one to say that. Incom incomprehensible posh is always a classic. Though. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, there was a, a nugget of sort of uh, wisdom in there somewhere, though, which is uh, the reason that, that I, I can't do voices that, that are like that and, and maintain them is because it's too far removed from how I, I am. And you've got to be able to do whatever you're going to do, character or GM. You've got to be able to do it for hours and hours and hours, and more or less consistently. So it goes back to what I think what Joe said earlier about the GME style, and that is uh, you will have your own unique style. That unique style basically is coming from how, your own uniqueness because it's going to be the, the style that you can comfortably do hour after hour, week after week. If it's not your natural style, 
you're going to find it really, really hard to do. And it's, it's almost impossible for you now to say, this is what my style is going to be like. Until you do it, you won't know. And then you'll yeah. find as you do it, this is, well, okay, this works. I can do this. So we have one final question. And I feel like I've lost half of the question. Because okay. all the question says is, how do you deal with players? How do you deal no, with no. players? How do you deal with players is a fair one. I believe uh, when we discussed it previously, you were talking about how do you deal with problem players and good players? Like, what is your approach to... But we kind of already touched on that, realistically. Yeah. Like, that's come through. And Joe, you had your hand up first. Yeah. It, it's all going to boil down to communication. Um, for dealing with problem players, it depends, A, A on the problem, um, what is it? Is it something super egregious? How is it affecting your other players at the table? Even if you are kind of a bit of a shy person uh, or you don't like conflict, etc., you as the DM have a greater responsibility, uh, I think, for managing and maintaining kind of safety at the table. Um, all the players have a responsibility to each other for that as well, but you as the linchpin of the game, I think have have a greater share of that and at the end of the day if someone is being such a problem player that they are ruining it for other people there is nothing wrong with getting rid of someone from the group now there are right and wrong ways to go about that which is kind of that is a, a long conversation in and of itself um but talk to the other players at your table um don't just be kind of judge, jury, and executioner yourself. Uh, if there is a problem player, talk to everyone else because what you see as a problem, uh, they may not, or you might have overreacted to something, not realizing that you have overreacted, or you may not have overreacted, and the other players may not have realized how hurt you were by something. Um, just because you are the DM does not mean that you are immune to uh, making mistakes or being hurt by other players' mistakes. Um, and there is an old saying that I think people will decide on for themselves, but it is that uh, no D&D is better than bad D&D. And as Alex said much earlier, uh, you've got to, if, if you're not having fun and you're not enjoying it, something has to change. And if that is that you leave that group or and you don't play for a bit, that is always going to be more beneficial to you than forcing yourself into a situation that you don't enjoy. Mm -hmm. Alex, I see your hand up. Yeah, or just on the end of that, like, remember, you don't owe anyone anything. It's mm -hmm. an enjoyment. It's a hobby. You don't have to be there for someone else's enjoyment. Uh, yeah. What I was going to pull onto, though, is the other side of things of, yes, obviously, you can do with problem players, and you have definitely covered that uh, especially well. But obviously, the other side of things, how do you deal with good players and just making sure that if someone is doing I don't want to say like doing really well like it's a lesson but you know what I mean if someone or the group is just really keeping you happy and such like that just make sure that that's known that you are uh, keeping everyone's confidence up a really good example from the other side players at the end of a session saying thank you GM that was a really nice session you know like making sure that everyone feels comfortable and uh, I think we all, we don't necessarily say it in specific words, but we all make sure that we all know everyone is happy in the group. I don't think mm. anybody has any uh, qualms or grievances. And if they did, they'd obviously be welcome to bring them up. I think a good example is uh, Simon, unfortunately, leaving the group, but for good reasons, obviously not through any kind of 
uh, arguments, not through any hatred. It was, he said that he just can't really deal with it anymore. He can't really cope with it. It's just not good for his mental health, all those sorts of things. And obviously I, I talked to him basically every week anyway, uh, still. And it was a really good decision and it was a really positive, oh, it was, but like he left uh, because it was a positive move and it was for, you know, just for the benefit of everybody. Cause obviously him not being happy about the group with everybody else would have been a little bit uh, concerned about it all. So yeah. Just making sure that you make sure everyone know that if they are good friends and happy people, that they know they're good friends and happy people. Similarly, if you as the DM are feeling insecure and you would like to seek validation from your players, do that. Ask, did did you have fun? Like, obviously don't try and pressure people into giving you the answer that you want. But usually, if people are still playing your campaign, it's because they're having a good time. And if you are, if you're like, man, these, these these people are really good at role playing and they're so quick with the combat or whatever it is and you feel inadequate just say i guys i, I just want to make sure is everyone's still having fun there's never too many times to check in with with people uh and you can do it individually you can do it as a group uh and just say I, I'm, I'm not feeling very good about how this session went um what do you guys think and they'll say they'll like they'll tell you they'll say yeah, well, I had loads of fun. Or they'll go, oh, well, I don't feel great about it either. Maybe if we do this, or I'd really love to explore this side of things. Um, it's never it's never super static. Um, it's similarly as well, you as the DM may notice that some people are outshining others, I think would be a good term to use. And that is not always necessarily a bad thing. Just because someone is quiet like check and again check in communicate just because someone is a quiet player and doesn't uh take on like the charisma role or necessarily put themselves out there with role play does not mean that they are having a bad time they may just be a quiet player and they may really love being the note taker or kind of thinking things up uh in the background and sharing them kind of outside the table or in whatever way while also being the me dumb but strong barbarian um that like there's there's all those kinds of dynamics at play um and if in doubt ask i have a question mm-hmm. it's a very short one it's a yes or no question or at least it has to be because it's quite late do people enjoy dming or like the, the meme of being a forever DM and just never getting to break away from it in the group, do people enjoy DMing or DM because it's something that they are asked to do? I enjoy DMing, uh, but I wouldn't want to do it all the time. I started DMing out of necessity because we had a group of people who wanted to play and I felt comfortable enough giving it a go. So I did, uh, found that I enjoyed it and have since enjoyed it. Um, I experienced a bit of burnout when I was doing like long, long campaigns. That's one of the reasons why I'm always happy if Alex is like, I'd like a three week break. Can you do something? Uh, so I'm always happy to, to, to jump in because I enjoy it. Um, and I know it can burn you out if you go and go and go and go and go. I mean, how dare Alex ask for a break from GMing? Mm. Well, h- hilariously, my answer to the question is I fucking love GMing. Yeah, I am the inverse of the meme. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to play a character every now and again, but I, I, I absolutely adore it. I did it, one, to give Alex a chance to play, <laughs> and two, because I have many worlds in my mind that I need to get out somehow. 
Yeah, that's my issue. Um, that's why I started writing a book. Yeah, but that my uh, I, I still love to play more than I do GM. I think it's gone excellently, Purdy. This is this is this oh, is wonderful. Thanks. Once again, Purdy, I think this has been a really good idea, and I I really I enjoy hearing everyone's perspective on stuff, and it's it's good to know that we're on the same page as as each other on a lot of things. Like, not that I would expect us not not to be, but it's interesting to see how, as someone who hasn't DM'd in a very long time with Mark, someone who DMs very frequently with Alex, someone who DMs different client, a different form of content with different restrictions like I do, someone who uh, has DM'd their first campaign, and someone who is planning to do some DMing, the things that we are in sync on and the things that we have varying kind of mm. beliefs and iterations on. I, I just find it fascinating. I've learned more from this oh, only two episodes than I actually thought I would. Like I thought it would be a load of questions I put in my, my, my thoughts and that's kind of how it goes. Whereas I've actually put in my thoughts and taken away a lot of information that I didn't know. I'm actually really glad about that because obviously this was all aimed at somebody like me who wanted to try GMing, but I like the fact that people who already GM can listen to this and take things away from it. I, I feel like a lot of the time the conversation around GMing is, will you GM? And it, it's it's normally a, a conversation of who is going to DM because they can, someone wants to, to play. And it's hmm. very rare that I think people get to just talk about DMing in general and when they are it's usually about one specific issue. Uh, they always ask will you GM? They never ask how you GM. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode of Magic Myths and Mayhem. Thank you to Dark Fantasy Studio and Nicholas Judy and Ovani for the use of their music in this episode. And a big thanks to you for listening. If you want to hear more behind-the-scenes content alongside extra art and lore, please consider joining our Patreon by searching Magic Myths and Mayhem on Patreon.com or watch our extra content and games on Twitch.com. For now, thank you for being here, and we look forward to seeing you next time. I'll see you then. I'm sorry, I think that might be the funniest thing you've ever said that I've heard.